Space Podcast. Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon. Or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out TangiboundNetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains, you can do it. You can do it. Check it out. TangiboundNetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, it's our first anniversary as we celebrate with Rob McCallum of Tiny Titan Studios, Dylan Manus from the Punched Out Podcast talking some MMA, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast gives us a quick NFL update, another hit song from Hyperschmidt, some surprise guests straight from this year's GameStop Expo, plus a chance for you to win a copy of Tiny Rails on Steam. And Josh and I talk Uncharted The Lost Legacy, and is this the worst month ever for moviegoers? It's a happy anniversary full of podcasting celebrating we have for you today as we once again delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source saying thank you so much for listening. We're just so excited because it is our first anniversary. That's right. Episode number 52 is now underway, and we just truly cannot thank you enough for being part of our listening audience for the past 52 weeks. And I'll tell you what. Who better to celebrate our first anniversary than my good friend? He is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the man in the know, the man that is on top of the food chain, the big man on campus when it comes to Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. Happy anniversary, my friend. Hey, happy anniversary to you, too. Congratulations for uh, sitting in the pilot seat for so long. Getting this uh, this ship moving through the cosmos. How does it feel? 
I feel older. Yeah? Like old as in you went through a black hole and aged 10 years when you came out the other side or wiser? I'd love to say wiser, but I'm not sure when it comes to me. So we'll just say uh, it's been a great year so far. We've had a lot of great things going down the pike. But before we get into all that good stuff, plus how you can win a copy of Tiny Rails on PC, now in early access for $9.99 on Steam. Josh, what is going on in the wonderful world known as Humanica Media? Same thing as always, you know, Podcast, Radio Network stuff, 7 p.m. Tuesday. New, um, what is coming out this week? New Super BS on Monday. New Topic Apocalypse on Tuesday. And I think that's all I have coming out right now. And you can check out gameplay of Hellblade and Uncharted on YouTube right now. I'm currently getting all that good stuff up there. Oh, that's great indeed. And once again, that's Attack of the Humanicans, available on the Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday night 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific again on the podcast radio network well we've got a great show lined up for you today it's going to be an awesome 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 first anniversary podcast indeed we've got rob mccallum from tiny titan studios and rob mccallum films he's going to stop by plus also as well we have dylan manis he's going to be talking some mma he's from the punched out podcast you want to check that out as well he's going to be talking later in the program about all the things going on in mma as we talk a myriad of subjects in mixed martial arts we've also got our good friend tyler baker he contacted me just over the weekend and he wanted everyone to, to get the latest update in fantasy football so if you haven't picked your teams yet, picked your roster, gone into your draft, or even if you have and you're looking to make some changes or you need the latest news, Tyler Baker stopped by to also chat with us just for a few minutes to give us a quick update. And if you haven't checked out his work yet on DKLegends.com and also as well the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, it is a must for you fantasy football owners out there. Like I said, it's going to be a great show indeed. We are truly indebted to each and every one of you out there for listening to us. But Josh, I got to ask you, my friend, it's pretty much one of the worst box office movie weekends in the last 20 years from what they're saying. Combined, the top 10 films may not even reach 50 million dollars domestically which is a pretty pretty sad number indeed hitman's bodyguard is going to be number one but it's going to be number one by default with all the new entries including birth of the dragon leap and whatnot not even making a click or a dent in the box office realm and as we talked about earlier in the month august we were just kind of forecasting that we thought there might be some issues going on with August and the slate that came out, we were looking and trying to search for maybe one hit out of it all, but it doesn't look like any of the movies that will be started up this month will be even cracking the $100 million barrier. And so I ask you, Josh, with those kinds of issues, what do we need to look at in regards to why this was such a bad weekend this weekend? And obviously the devastating hurricane had some effect on that. And, and our thoughts and prayers are to those individuals out there that are affected by the hurricane. But also as well, why was there such a bad August for movies, period, across the board? 
I don't know, man. I mean, I like I said before, I, I I think it's partially due to the rising box office prices and maybe just the fact that there weren't any, and it's sad to say there weren't any franchise-related films out in August. You know, there, there what did I, I, I just saw Logan Lucky and that was actually really good, but I don't think that it was marketed well enough to be, to, you know, to have people flock to the movies to watch it. And it's, it's a, um, and the same thing with Dark Tower. Like it wasn't a good movie, but at the same time too, I don't think that it was market really marketed that well. There's not a lot of things that, if you were to look at what came out in August, I think a lot of it is not, it's not something things that really appeal to people. So they didn't really do a good job of letting people know, like, hey, these movies are out there. And at the same time, they're not movies that are really good enough in the eyes of people to sit to merit going to the theater. But, but there was some, actually some decent titles, I thought. Dark Tower was something that had hit potential. Hitman's Bodyguard could have actually done possibly a lot, you know, better worldwide, maybe. It just it seemed to kind of fan out real quick itself, even though it's finishing number one, but not really strong as, as well. I mean, there was some potential. Annabelle 2, it had a the best opening of any one of the movies that came out this month. What are what are the standards that we're comparing these to? Like we're when we think box office numbers, we always want to think like Marvel or DC or something. But if you know if those, but even like an average month, like even January, we had always talked about January being the slowest month, and this and this is even exceeding that and how porous the the box office is. Yeah, well, at the same time too, like if I weren't a huge Dark Tower fan, I probably wouldn't have gone to see any movies at all this month. And that's just, I, I just don't think any of the movies look appealing. And you also have the the critics to thank for a lot of the, uh, you know, the negative reviews. I, I honestly, I just think that people like to stay home these days and watch movies instead of going to the theaters. And that's a shame indeed, because the movie going experience is something that is truly special that cannot actually be duplicated or recreated in full from the home unless you've got a really big house that's... Yeah, pretty much when you come, it comes down to it, unless you have an actual theater room. If, if you do, let me know. Maybe I'll, you know, we'll crash it and whatnot. But anyways, um, I, I just, it, it is a telling sign to the movie industry and a wake-up call, I think, to the movie industry that they have to re realign and, and rethink everything that's going on as far as how they go and distribute, publicize, and, and get people out there to the movies. Because August has not been a dead month like this to my knowledge in recent years because past augusts have seen the original guardians of the galaxy that appeared in an august you know and there's there's quite a few others that made their money in the month of august so there's no reason to see why it was so bad for a lot of movies going on dunkirk which debuted halfway through july that might be one of the strongest movies that came out or that was being played during the month of August. So it tells you right there that I think your your assessment is correct, that there wasn't a lot of great choices, and I think we kind of foresaw that at the beginning of the month. Obviously, the, the disappointment that was Dark Tower had a lot of something to do with, with how bad the box office was. Sony was writing a lot of money on it, that's for sure. And, and it's just a disappointing thing throughout as far as the slate of movies that came down the pike. What do you think the movie industry needs to focus on or try and think about what they need to do to reshape the way that they go ahead and market these films to audiences? Because you're right, 
the costs are rising. The costs are rising and they're not getting any cheaper. And if that's the case, they have to do more to provide a better incentive for people to go out and see films, correct? Right. I think a lot of it, too, is, um, you know, obviously they want the reviews to be better. Obviously, critics are hard to please. And it lately, it seems like, especially with movies like The Dark Tower, we have studios who they're afraid to take risks on new properties. And even when they are willing to take them, they don't put the care into it that it needs. Like uh, Dark Tower was looked like it was, you know, it, a very... You know, it it didn't look cheap, but at the same time, like I, it, they, it had a huge fan base, huge potential. A lot of people wanted to go see, it. and I know a lot of people who didn't go see it because of the reviews. But if they would have just put the care into it that the series deserved, I think that it could have been a lot better. So I think that it's a lot of you know studios are also to blame for movies being bad or not bringing in a lot of money just as much as people are for not going to see them definitely some telling signs indeed and and it is to me like i said a wake-up call to the movie industry that they need to get their act together because many more months like these and a lot of people are going to be out of work and a lot of companies a lot of productions are going to be out you know a lot of money and and you know a lot of mid-tier stuff a lot of stuff that usually could do well if promoted properly, is not going to even get made. It's just going to be the low-cost, low-budget indie flicks, or it's going to be the AAA blockbuster, and those are going to fight for the premium spaces and the premium dates and times, and there's going to be nothing left over. And that's going to be a shame because the movie-going experience is something that still should be thought of as very special, at least in my opinion anyways, because... It, to me, it, it, no matter how big these big screens are getting and how great the resolution is with 4K eventually going up to 8K, et cetera, et cetera, it is still, at this point in time, extremely difficult to recreate that experience. What are your thoughts on the month of August when it comes to movies? Do you like any of them? Were they just a bunch of garbage being strewn out week after week after week? Was it something you're really interested in keying in? Did you actually go check them out? Or or do you think going to the movies is not the experience you once had? We'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, GameSource, and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. It's going to be a great broadcast we have for you today. Like I said earlier, we've got Tyler Baker. He's breaking in with a big news update later in the program. Also as well, Dylan Manus from the Punched Out Podcast. He's stopping by to talk a detailed conversation about MMA. Our good friend, Rob McCallum, who we're going to thank later in the show. Anyways, he's also stopping by with his thoughts and memories of the Pop Culture Cosmos in its first year anniversary. Right now, what we're going to do is if you are interested in getting a free copy of Tiny Rails on PC, on early access right now, it's now available on Steam at $9.99, we have three copies, all right? So all I need you to do is, is this. Email us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. That's popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. The first three emails we get, that's right, the first three emails we get all you have to do is just in the header tiny rails there you go just put tiny rails in the header and that you'd like a copy we'll send you the code right out to you 
We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast and listening to us. And that's our way of saying thank you for one year of listening to our great program. And we truly appreciate your time in doing so. Once again, just send us an email with a header, Tiny Rails, and the first three that do will get a copy of the game. We've got a code we'll send back to you and all that good stuff. So, well, again, that's going to be a great broadcast indeed. We truly appreciate everyone out there for listening right now. Hey, I'll tell you what. It wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without our good friend, Chad Smith from Hyperschmidt. So this is Hyperschmidt, and this is Fighting Eyes, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Stronger, I'm living without a doubt. I can wait another minute longer. Do you know what you were talking about? Because I think you couldn't get much stronger. I'm living without a doubt. Now all your followers begin to wonder. Get up, we'll fight. Oh, they will know. Now you know that I found my purpose Now I've got this fire inside my head That's stuck in the clouds of thunder All the traps you find by the light Now all your followers begin to wonder Listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Mario Party Wars. It's Salvador Villa. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Gerald. How are you? I'm doing well, and I just wanted to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, man, for the past year, Mario Party Wars has been an integral part of what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos. And I just wanted to say before I, I tracked you down, really fast and really hard at the uh, GameStop Expo here. I wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, my friend. 
Well, it's my pleasure, Gerald. Thank you for the opportunities and allowing Pop Culture Cosmos to, well, get involved. You know, some of the events you've invited us to, among other things, it's, it's been an amazing experience so far, and we're glad to be a part of it. Oh, and we're glad as well. And if you get a chance, everyone out there, check out their awesome site on Facebook, Mario Party Wars. They're great close-knit community and they they just want to welcome anybody in who's into the Mario Party scene. Yeah, but I mean, thank you again, Gerald. And honestly, yeah, if you're into Mario Party, we're the group you want to be into, you know. That's what we're all about as well as gaming as a whole. Oh, that's awesome indeed. Uh, he's going to come back on the show later in the year to talk more board gaming because it will soon be holidays and I'll soon be asking him what hot board games to look forward to this holiday season. So you know, I gotta have him study up. So he's gonna have to be doing a lot of playing some board games <laughs> to let me know what he wants to do. So, sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds like a plan. I've actually played quite a few board games recently from some of the gaming socials I posted and Gen Con 50, awesome board game convention, by the way, um, just recently happened. So there's yes. a lot of new and upcoming uh, tabletop games that have actually been coming out. Uh, some already gained some pretty good appraisals from the communities. Uh, so definitely looking forward to that indeed. So I will set something up with this man right here. But again, from the bottom of our heart here, right here, we truly appreciate everything Mario Party Wars has done for us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. All right. Thank you, Gerald. Thanks, my friend. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from <clears throat> Pop culture cosmos Aww. we thank you very it's, much for listening truly appreciate it's already it. begun yes it has indeed and i'll tell you what he's back again he is uh, you know just, just we're just so thankful to have him back on the show again even though i irritate him beyond all description it's the man the myth the legend of rob mccallum films and also now a part of the tiny titan studios team it's rob mccallum how are you my friend I'm doing good. We've reached our one year anniversary with the pop culture cosmos. Oh, um, wow. It's, it's been a Already? 52 yes, weeks. 52 weeks. Yes. Huh. When this right now, this will air, it'll be episode 52. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, since you and I sat in that coffee shop and pondered the future for where we were going to go and move and evolve game source, as far as that part of it is concerned and made some hard decisions had to you know <laughs> steer away from decisions well steer away from a lot of things that were negative in regards to it okay. but also as well uh, you know a lot of people were were giving us flack behind the scenes in regards to the pop culture cosmos they didn't think the concept was worth it they didn't think the concept was was good and they, you know, I frankly got told in my face it was uh, you know, actually quite stupid. So let's put that out there. So I ask you, Rob, you and I were able to overcome all that. We were able to go and actually, you know, kind of shopped after shopping around to radio stations. Uh, we were actually able to find a home with a podcast radio. Hang on, network. let me have my curly fries. <laughs> <laughs> and we were actually uh, found the, the great people at the podcast radio network, John Sweeney Jr. And we're able to make a home and you know, as you and, and also Josh Peterson, who's been a tremendous part of my co-host on the show, we've been able to create something together with, with you, with retro city games, with Mario party wars, with game source, humanity media and wine, women and words and everyone else involved with it. I just want to ask your thoughts in regards to one year. Did you even think it was going to be possible 
back then. And not to, not to mention the fact that for six months we were the number well, we are the number one show on the podcast radio network. Well, I mean, you're, I think you're giving me more credit than I deserve because it's really been you largely as, as the spirit and the backbone of, of everything, the pop culture cosmos and even the multiverse, which was a spinoff show that I think started in March or April. But you wanted uh, the, the PCC multiverse. I remember you giving me that concept. You know, hey, well, you because you me. had so much stuff that you were pushing that it only made sense to continue going on and pile on the work twice as much. Why not, right? <laughs> right. Um, why not? Why not? But like, it's that's this what is I always really... say. At four, that's what I always say. Four o'clock in the morning when I'm editing this show. So <laughs> why not? Have, have another piece. Um, this has really been uh, a, a lot more you than than it has been me. I've been on a, a little bit in the last little while and a little bit earlier on in the days. But yeah, you know, it's very impressive to see the amount of listeners and the amount of results that we've got. It's you know, far outweighed any podcast stuff that I've been a part of before. So that's, it's really cool to see that it is possible that you can grow a show as large as it, as it is to have the audience as large as we do and have the interaction with the folks and the other shows that are interested in being a part of it. It's all very, very cool stuff. And you should be super proud of what you've been able to do with it. I think, you know, a year later in hindsight, that's enough metrics to look back and think that you made the right choice from, from the decisions that you made, that this was obviously probably a better, healthier direction to go in than the status quo at the time. So any of those critics can probably don't won't have too much to say at this point to their concerns. And, you know, I don't think it's uh, a stupid decision after all. And I think the numbers, you know, speak to that. So, uh, and, and that's just a credit to, to everyone out there. Not only the teamwork that you and Retro City Games and, and everyone down from Mario Party Wars, Wine Women Words, Humanity Media, the whole list goes on and on. I'm going to thank them at another part of the show with Josh. I'm going to definitely name everybody I can at that part. But I just want to say that it's all because of you out there that that we've had reached any kind of level of success. And it's harder, I know, because we don't have the celebrity names to attach with us. And in this, as you know, hey, Rob... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you trying to say? Well, okay, I'm sorry. I'm we just don't have... I'm just kidding. We don't have the <laughs> highly paid celebrity names. <laughs> That's definitely true. I don't think. Okay, there you go. So we don't have the highly paid celebrity names. So it's kind of was harder for us to build from ground up. Uh, and, you know, with Rob's help and also so many others out there, we were able to make it available to, you know, so many different platforms. And it's all because of you out there that we just truly appreciate you listening and and the fact that we want to go even more and do even better and, and reach a larger audience just speaks to the volumes of the show itself. And I, I cannot thank you enough, Rob, publicly for, for everything you've done for the pop culture cosmos. It's just been a tremendous ride so far. So I truly appreciate everything that, that you've done for us. And I'm hoping for more great things from both of us and in regards to this show and this end of it uh, going forward in the future as well. Yeah, it's a good ride. It'd be interesting to see what happens for uh, year two, season two, so to speak. Again, that's Rob McCallum of Rob McCallum Films, also the creative director of Tiny Rails. You can get it now on Steam and also available on mobile platforms. Rob, as always, it's been a great pleasure, my friend. Thank you, sir. Look forward to the next time. Thank you for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and I'm here with two of my favorite people in the world. They are so awesome, and I just wanted to say thank you to them in public. So I ran, they, uh, just, I ran after them just like I ran after Sal, got them here at the GameStop Expo. It's Doug and Nicole from Retro City Games. How are you both today? Doing well, how are you? Doing good. 
All right, that's good, that's good. And I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, and also from Josh, with all the stuff he's doing at Humanica Media, I want to say thank you to the both of you for everything that you do while you're buying good stuff right now and, and eyeing all that uh, uh, you know, swag and all the great <laughs> games that are out here. So just let everybody know what's going on with your great store known as Retro City Games. Well, right now we're kind of ramping up from the holidays. We just got back from the uh, the Game On Expo in Arizona. Uh, getting ready, we're going up to Portland for the uh, Retro Gaming Expo up there. And uh, just ramping up for the holidays, looking to have some fun and getting, setting up for a game night next month. We're coming up on our uh, three-year anniversary in October, oh which gosh. is pretty exciting. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on. Oh, my gosh, three years. Oh, that blows my mind away. <laughs> I remember the, just the other day we were just, you know, first meeting you both for the first time. And, and Nicole... There's a great project that you both are a part of coming up with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Rob McCallum. So tell us a little bit about your time, because I talked a little bit about with Rob, but I want to hear from you. How's your time with Box Art? Oh, it's great. We got to meet a bunch of people. We got to interview a lot of people. Um, it's awesome. We're super excited about it. Box Art, the documentary. It's going to be a six-episode series coming up, and I just can't wait for it. And I keep asking Rob to, to send me a sneak peek, send me a sneak peek, and he won't do it. So, But I, I just want to say again, from the bottom of my heart, to both of you for so much for your support and everything that you've done for the Pop Culture Cosmos. Likewise. Thank you for all your help with the store, and uh, you've been a good friend, Gerald. Uh, thank you. Uh, to you as well, to both of you as well. Yeah, thanks, Gerald. You're uh, awesome. Uh, well, I, I try, like I said, uh, we're, we're doing what we can. For, for anything you know that you need as far as gaming in Southern Nevada, check out Retro City Games on Facebook, also Twitter as well. And we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. On our first anniversary, we truly appreciate you listening to the broadcast here today. If you cannot catch us on the Podcast Radio Network every Monday night, 7.30 p.m., Pacific, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. For some reason, that's no problem. We've got a myriad of channels that download and stream the shows each and every week, and it comes right to it. And we also add a bonus podcast, a bonus interview, something like there. We throw in free extra just for listening. And we also want to thank those channels as well. So I'm going to do it in the list. So if you get a chance and you can just pop on any one of those channels, starting with iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunna Geek Network, Cast Crunch, Social Podcasts, and PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. We say thank you to all of them, and any one of those stations can actually get you easy access to downloading our episodes each and every week, and you get a bonus as well. So, Josh, on our first year anniversary, one of the things we've liked to talk about over the past year is one of the best video game series of all time, and he's standing again right over me. He's watching while we're talking about it. It's Nathan Drake talking about Uncharted. What a great series it is. My favorite of all time. It I thought was, you were about to say Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, we won't, we won't go there. there. I ever. I was just assuming. No, no. We won't go there. We won't go there. No, no. Don't start. Don't start. Mass Effect I love. I love. I love until Andromeda. We won't talk about that. Anyways, Uncharted The Lost Legacy came out this week, and it is, by all intents and purposes, the final segment as far as the Uncharted Legacy 
quote unquote, pun intended, for at least the short term. You're playing it and you're streaming it on the Humanica Media YouTube channel. So I ask you, Josh, is this something that will hold up with the rest of the iterations, whether it's been on Vita, whether it's been the card game, whether it's been any of the number of the great titles that have come out on PS3 and PS4? Does Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, hold up to the rest of the great series? I, I know a lot of reviewers are comparing it to like the you know the mainline Drake series but the thing is it's not like if it's done anything it's done a great job of making that series feel fresh again and kind of be able to stand on its own I know there are some critiques on it as far as like the people saying the open world parts aren't really open world and that's fine we don't really we don't really need that but it you know it's the characters are interesting the story's good the gameplay's fun it's not there's some elements added into it that weren't in the original ones and to say, you know, I think it's it's you know it's about a six or seven hour game, and it's totally worth the forty dollars. They did a great. They, it was a good decision to not sell it as just a, a standard add on and actually print it onto a disc. I, I don't know whether they did this just to please fans or if it was uh, something they really wanted to do, but it, it came out great in the end. And I think if anything, like it might actually prompt its own uh, its own series because the characters definitely have chemistry. Uh, Nadine and Chloe. They, they have great chemistry, and I would love to see more. I'm, I'm about halfway through the game, so I can't really like speak on what the ending is like. But, yeah, it's definitely worth playing. From what I've seen, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's definitely another great addition to the Uncharted series, and I'm just truly thankful for Naughty Dog to, to bringing that out, and I plan to get my hands on it hopefully very soon. And also, if they get a chance, everyone out there, check out Josh's streams of Uncharted The Lost Legacy now and also in the future on YouTube at the Humanica Media channel and you check out all the great action. So you can decide for yourself if it's something that you want to go and invest money into because I think it is a great value indeed and, and a great standalone experience for PlayStation 4 gamers. What are your thoughts on Uncharted The Lost Legacy? Is it something you're looking forward to getting your hands on? Have you been playing it already? Is it something that you really like to do? And, and your thoughts on the Uncharted series as a whole, do you consider it a great game series like I do and like Josh does as well? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, GameSource, and Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. And don't forget, the first three people to send us an email requesting a copy of Tiny Rails on PC now in early access for $9.99. You just got to go ahead and email us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I truly appreciate being part of the broadcast here today. And I, it wouldn't be a first anniversary without you know some, some people that, that are near and dear to our heart here at Pop Culture Cosmos. And one of those people that have helped us tremendously over the past year is Warren Fernandez. I guess our resident man in the know when it comes to the Nintendo Switch. In fact, I just caught him playing the Nintendo Switch when he was here. How are you, my friend? Hi, Gerald. How's it going? Good, good. We're live here at GameStop Expo, just ready to get in. And I just wanted to say, man, I just appreciate everything you've done for us as far as as you know, just as a listener, but also helping out with CES and all the great things, and also our, our game nights at Retro City Games as well. Mm -hmm. Thanks. 
you know, what, what's your opinion on the, on the future going forward this holiday for the Nintendo Switch? Just want to get your quick thoughts, you know, real real briefly on that. Um, the competition uh, needs to step up the game. It, right now, the Nintendo Switch is sold out pretty much at, at most uh, outlets, and it's hard to get one. Really, I know with still. GameStop, I know with GameStop it is because they recently said that they were the leading retailer of the Nintendo Switch. I, I agree. And you know, and even if you have, you know, you've got your Mario Odyssey coming out very soon. Um, you also got like um, WWE 2K18 and just a plethora of games that are just not even announced yet. And they're still, and they're slated for this year. A lot of independent uh, developers developing and porting their games on Switch. Oh, that's that's awesome indeed, and and obviously Super Mario Odyssey leads the influx of great titles coming this year to the Nintendo Switch. So, as as one person to another, I'm just telling you, one gamer to another, just want to say, uh, tell you what, uh, hopefully some good things going forward with the Nintendo Switch, and I just appreciate again so much you being you know anything everything you've done for the pop culture cosmos. Oh, anytime, thank you. Uh, no worries, and I tell you what, you have fun at Dragon Con coming up very soon. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. Again, it's our first anniversary, and we truly appreciate you being part of the program here today. And I'll tell you what, what a better way to celebrate our first anniversary than having a quick update from our good friend, Tyler Baker. He's back with the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. It's so good to have you on. And you messaged me. You said, hey, Gerald, I've got some things I need your audience to talk about. So I'm going to give the floor to you. Again, it's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. It's always great to have you on. And, well, there's a lot of things to talk about. So what's going on that you need to update our fans about? Oh, thank you very much, my friend. It's great to be on. Happy anniversary. Love the show. It's a great place to uh, hear about great games, listen to some awesome music. I really do enjoy the show. But for fantasy football, there is quite a lot going on right now. There are four major injuries that I want to talk about, and you can read all of my articles on DKLegends.com. But Odell Beckham Jr., is it's been rumored that he is going to miss the first game. I don't think that's the case. He is getting some treatments for that. And the type of treatments that he's getting, it's like a high-tech laser therapy. Uh, that has worked in the past. He may have a little bit of a slow start to the season, but I don't think he's going to miss game one. I think he's going to be ready to go. What you don't want in an injury like, like that is a high ankle sprain. He does not have a high ankle sprain. So right now he's dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of inflammation. There are things that they can do to deal with that. It's still a couple of weeks until the football season. I am 95% confident that he is going to play. But what you see happening in fantasy football drafts is you see him falling. So if you see him falling in your draft and you're at the end of the first round or maybe even into the second round, get him. Do not be afraid to go after L. Odell Beckham Jr. Well, that's awesome indeed, but I know there's some really even more serious injuries that you need yes. to talk about as well, including one that happened very recently to the New England Patriots. Yes, the New England Patriots played last night, and the first three passes that Tom Brady threw were to Julian Edelman. He is really the pivot of that offense. He can do so many things in the middle of the field, and he went down in the game. They took him to the locker room. He has a torn ACL and he is out for the season. Uh, that so, is a that oh, is no, a no, very I, big blow. Yeah. Absolutely, that's a huge blow for not only the Patriots as a whole, but to anyone who has Julian Edelman oh, on their their rosters as of now. Okay, two things. Obviously, what do you need to do to focus on replacement or a possible replacement? 
And then secondly, if you're just about ready to draft, who might you go instead to as far as either another receiver on another team or even within the confines of the Patriots themselves? Yeah, the problem is there's not anybody else on that team that can do what he does. Danny Amendola is probably the closest to that skill set, but Danny Amendola throughout his entire career has had a very difficult time staying healthy. They are not going to run him out there and give him Julian Edelman type of targets. He will break down quickly and they need Amendola. There's nobody on that team that is going to step into that role. So what you are going to see is you're going to see some of those targets kind of be spread out. I think the running backs are going to catch more passes out of the backfield. I don't think Brandon Cook's uh, volume goes up tremendously. It might get a slight bump. I think the real winner here as far as fantasy is Chris Hogan. After Julian Edelman was out of the game, Chris Hogan stepped in, scored a couple touchdowns, and really uh, took on a lot of that workload. And you even saw it last season, especially in the playoffs, Chris Hogan came on. Tom Brady has confidence in Chris Hogan. There's also another guy there, Malcolm Mitchell, but Malcolm Mitchell plays primarily on the outside. So as far as a slot guy, I think Hogan is really going to be the biggest beneficiary from this injury. Once again, we're on with Tyler Baker from DKLegends.com. If you haven't made your draft choices as of yet and you're just about ready to go on, whether it's DraftKings, Yahoo, ESPN, what have you, he has got an awesome fantasy football draft kit that you need to download before you go do those awesome drafts that are out there. Plus also as well, read all of his articles on DKLegends.com. And also get quick updates during the week with his fantasy football pay dirt podcast right now on Libsyn and, of course, Apple Podcasts as well. And I want to also ask you, is I know the Kansas City Chiefs, they're in a world of hurt right now because yeah. Spencer Ware is also in a world of hurt as well, correct? Yes, uh, it was feared that he tore his ACL. That's not the case. It looks like a PCL injury, and he is out for the season. But they do have a guy in Kareem Hunt that they uh, traded up in the draft to get. So they traded up to get this running back. They really like him. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did some really interesting things in this draft in that they're trying to remake their team. They traded up to get a quarterback. They traded up to get Kareem Hunt as a running back. So I feel that the Chiefs are very confident in what they have in him. He's kind of thrust into the role that they probably it's a little bit sooner than they expected but I believe that they do think that they can trust him with that workload and that could be a very good uh, fantasy pickup because even if Spencer Ware comes back if Kareem Hunt has proven himself Spencer Ware might not get the starting job back. News comes in that Spencer Ware of the Kansas City Chiefs is out for the season. You, you know, in this day and age where passing is so much a focus of the game and running backs seem to almost be more like a, a treated almost like a commodity as opposed to the specialness they once had 10, 15 years ago. It seems like, you know, really that any running back can lose their job at any given point in time. Well, you also sure. wanted to touch on one more really, really serious topic. And this comes from Indianapolis, correct? Yes, Andrew Luck. Now we knew that Andrew Luck, it was going to be cutting it close. He had shoulder surgery. They needed to repair his labrum. And so they had the surgery. Well, we knew that it was going to be cutting it close uh, as far as starting the season. We would have known by now if he was going to start the first game. So I am 90% confident he's not going to start the first game. And it may be a couple games into the season before he starts. And I think a really big factor related to that is that they lost their center, Ryan Kelly. 
Kelly was a very important part of that offensive line. That offensive line traditionally has been bad, and Andrew Luck has had a very tough. You could say of years. that again. Oh, I know. Like, well, like, like we're talking forty-one sacks in a season type years, and just absolutely getting creamed. Well, they started building that line up. They've been investing in that line, and really the linchpin of that line, the center, is going to be out for probably. I think six weeks. So even if when Andrew Luck is healthy, I don't know if they're going to, if the offensive line situation is really bad, I don't know if they're going to put him in. There's still a lot of question marks. I do think he'll probably be playing by week three, but I don't know. And that's something we're not going to know until probably another couple of weeks. So if you're going into a draft, be careful. If you do spend a pick on Andrew Luck, you need to get a good backup quarterback to fill in for those first couple of weeks. Or even if it's the other way around, focus in on one quarterback. And if he starts to drop because people are worried about his injury status, maybe pick him up as a good backup to play at a later week down the road. Sure. He is falling in drafts. The closer we get to uh, the start of the season, the more people are realizing that it's not that Andrew Luck is most likely not going to play. So you're starting just now to see him fall in drafts. He was being drafted pretty highly a couple of weeks ago. With this injury injury situation now, it's going to get even worse, but he could be a good pickup if he falls to the later rounds. He sure could. And a lot of times in drafts, you can get guys that are injured, uh, like um, uh, Doug Martin is suspended for the first three games of the season. I think when he comes back, he's going to be a very good running back. You can get him pretty late. And if you've got a guy that you can pick up to fill in for the first three weeks, Doug Martin could be a really, he could really be a game changer for your fantasy team. Uh, definitely. He could be that thing that later in the season really pays yeah. off for you down the road. So that that's definitely something to look out for as well. Well, anything else you need to update us on? Because we truly appreciate you coming on and over the course of the season, giving those constant updates on what's going on for fantasy football owners. Sure, sure. I just want to encourage people that if you don't have a great draft, don't worry about it. You're not going to win or lose your league in the draft. You're going to win or lose your league in how you manage your team throughout the year. You're going to have to spend a little bit of time. My podcast can help you do that. My podcast is designed to help you just have a couple quick listens and you'll know exactly what's going on in the NFL. And then my articles on DKLegends.com will help you through the season as well. So it's all about making good decisions and you make good decisions when you're more informed. And that's what I do. I dig all day long. I read articles. I watch game film, just dig around trying to find things to give us an advantage. So check it out and uh, we can help you win a championship this year. Definitely. That's some great advice indeed. Once again, it is Tyler Baker from DKLegends.com. That's DKLegends.com. Download his draft kit right it's now. Free. Just It's free. It's absolutely free. And it's yeah. right. Do it right now before you go on to those drafts. Also, as well, check out all of his articles that are there and make sure you also listen in at least two, three times a week to his updates on his Fantasy Football Pater podcast, which you can get on iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, and also Libsyn as well. Tyler, we truly appreciate you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos, as always, joining in on us on our first year anniversary with that quick update. And again, you will be a major part going forward during the course of the season, and we are truly indebted to you for doing so. It is absolutely my pleasure, and it's an honor to be a part of such a cool show. And on the on the one-year anniversary, it's great. I love what you guys are doing. I love the music. I love hearing about the games. I'm the one that's, that's uh, truly honored to be a part of this. Thank you very much. Well, thank you again. We appreciate it, and it's so glad to have you now being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. 
For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back to the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there being part of the broadcast here today. And I just wanted to take some time out today to talk a little bit about some mixed martial arts. And who better to talk some mixed martial arts than one of the best mixed martial arts podcasts that's available on the internet today. It is the Punched Out Podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Stitcher, and Google Play. He is the host of the Punched Out Podcast. It's Dylan Maness. How are you doing today? Just so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me on, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, a couple of years ago, it was made major news. Uh, the Fertitas selling their interest in the UFC, something they literally just almost from the ground up that they built it up. You know, when it was in, when they acquired it, it was not in exactly in the best of shape at that time. And the UFC was, I know Dana White, you'll hear his stories about about how it was back then. And I remember watching the the UFC's original first few shows and they were, like he said, you know, some real outlaw type deals, but it has transpired and grown. That and MMA as a whole have grown into a, a, a huge industry. And a couple of years ago, they were bought out for about $4 billion. So I ask you two years later, seeing how the UFC has transpired over the past couple of years with the rise and fall of John Jones, the rise and fall of Ronda Rousey, and also the different ventures that Conor McGregor has taken. What is your opinion on the state of UFC and the MMA as whole as it stands right now after that $4 billion sale? I think it was a great selling move for the Fertitas. I think that they did it at exactly the right time. Now, as, as far as WMG... As far as they go, the best part that I can come up with it is when you were a kid and you and you always wanted this cool toy and it was so shiny and, and awesome and you got it and you go home to play with it and you play for it a couple of days and it's just as awesome as what you thought it was in the store and then the new wears off. I think that for the first little bit that they own the UFC, everything was fabulous. I mean, you had Conor McGregor just doing big things, Ronda Rousey coming back, just everything that was supposed to happen when they bought the UFC. As of late, we've seen some crumbling cards, just some unfortunate things. We, we've seen Conor McGregor away, the potential forever retirement of Rousey, GSP's that he's not coming back and he's fighting Woodley and then he's fighting Bisbing. So you don't really know who's going there. I think they're having a bit of buyer's remorse. I, I think they bought that new toy and it was just as cool. Not anymore. Couldn't agree with you more on that because at the time there was some great tickets, uh, great selling points in Ronda Rousey, in Conor McGregor, in John Jones, uh, Daniel Cormier, and a whole bunch more that were really, really top selling big draws and whatnot. So, and they were just starting to really, really tour the entire world and had locations everywhere. And obviously at that time, they were still not able to go to New York, but they were just starting to get 
the word that they were going to be able to free up the New York market as well. So I think that was that played into it as far as trying to grow that market as well. And obviously the big sale at that point in time, $4 billion by the Fertitas was a great move by them. I couldn't agree with you more on that sense. And definitely, uh, I agree with your, your analogy as far as the new toy is concerned, because it definitely the newness has rubbed off quite a bit. Dylan, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show today. Any last thoughts on either the MMA scene or your podcast and and how people can get a hold of your podcast today on your awesome Punched Out podcast? Well, they can get me on Facebook. That's my most active spot. I, I have a Twitter. I do not have an Instagram, but you can find us on Facebook, the Punched Out Podcast. Give us a like. Shoot me a message. Uh, just just let me know what you think about the show. Uh, you can get us uh, by the link I usually share on my podcast page. Uh, it's a link to Libsyn, and you can get it on Google Play and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. And that's right. That is Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast that's now available. Get it today. Listen to all the episodes. He's got a list of great fighters he's had the chance to speak to. Dylan, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show you can come back on the show in the future to talk MMA anytime you like, and I'm hoping you you will do that. And and definitely looking forward to to having you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Anytime you have MMA related questions, just shoot them at me, and uh, I'd love to come on here and discuss things with you. Awesome, awesome indeed. So that's Dylan Manus of the Punched Out Podcast. We truly appreciate him being part of the Pop culture cosmos 2017 is a pinnacle year for rob mccallum films coming off the heels of the internationally acclaimed and award-winning documentary missing mom we're in the final stages to release kitty origins and evolutions check out this heavy metal biopic that explores the ups and downs of rock and roll for the women in kitty who blazed a trail in the music industry in the face of unthinkable adversity kitty origins and evolutions releases this year from rob mccallum films 2017 is the year to set your future on fire and we're back with the show. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. Truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today as we close out the show. It's been quite a year for us with Pop Culture Cosmos. Before I go into any sentimental and, and weepy, weepy stuff, what's going on with your tremendous platform known as Humanica Media? Podcast Radio Network, Attack of the Humanicans on Tuesday at 7. And then this week we have a new Super BS and Topic Topicocalypse coming out. So stay tuned for that. And if you follow on Facebook and YouTube, you'll be able to see some of the uh, game stream footage I have of Hellblade and Uncharted, which we talked about earlier. And there's going to be more. I'm sure I'll, I'll pop something up here that I'm, I'm forgetting. But yeah, thanks for following along, man. It's been fun. Needless to say, it's obviously a lot of great things going down. You want to check out Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter and check out all the great stuff and their YouTube channel as well. Well, uh, it, like I said, it's been a year gone by now, 52 episodes in, and we truly cannot thank enough all the people and individuals that have made this show. First off, to all the people out there who have listened, and I think the numbers going by is now reaching close to a over a hundred thousand listeners closing in on that mark that have listened to the show over the year. I cannot first thank you enough. It just truly is awesome that you've been a part of this. We it is all because of you were doing this show, and we just truly can't thank you enough for doing it. But here's the list of people that I've got who have come on the show. 
And if I leave you out, it is not intentional. I apologize. And I will correct it in a future episode, I swear. So just send me a line on that if I missed you. Okay, we've got Douglas and Nicole from Retro City Games. Michelle and Diana from The Wine, Women, and Words. Salvador Villa from Mario Party Wars. DJ Medina with Henshin Engine. Christian Zamudio, our eSports expert. Warren Fernandez. Chris Bonner. Jay Bartlett from A Galaxy Far, Far Away. Antoine Claire Renault, he's the author of the, the History of Coleco. Get that today. It's available now. Just go to ColecoBook.com. Doki Tops, he's the CEO of Utomic. I just appreciate his time. He was calling from another country entirely, and that was just an awesome experience. Kevin Eldridge, he stopped by from his great podcast, The Flopcast. Want to check that out on the ESO Network. It definitely for an off-the-beaten path type of podcast, definitely check that out. Brian Wegner, Eddie Sheely from Humanic Media, who have both appeared directly on the show. I cannot thank you enough for sitting in and also making contributions to the pop culture cosmos. Joe Vernola from PHX Wrestling. And speaking of professional wrestling, how can I forget our guys from the wrestling podcast about nothing? That is the kingpin, Brian Malonis, and our good friend, Mike Crockett, as well. So to Mike and Brian, I say thank you for coming repeatedly on the show and spreading your knowledge on the professional wrestling scene. Uh, one of our sponsors, Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens, cannot thank you enough for contributing to our show. The TV Ratings Guide, I tell you what, a special love, love, nothing but love to you. As far as from Jessica, Jonathan, Hunter, Bridger, and I'll tell you what, everybody else from the TV Ratings Guide, much love to you. And you get a chance to check out their site, tvratingsguide.com. Terrence James from Hyperkin. Sarah Kay from the AntiQuest podcast. George Mahaffey and Justin Sloan from the Syndicate Wars. If you want to catch their great novels, catch them today, syndicatewars.com or Syndicate Wars on Facebook with some great information on how to get their books on Amazon. Chad Smith from Hyperschmidt. Check it out on Hyperschmidt on Facebook and also as well on YouTube. Moy Navarro, Elijah Harrison, aka Plasma Z. There's also Razor Games, HyperX, My Arcade, Blue Microphones, Refuel, Plantronics, Decibels, Tough Tested, and everybody else we interviewed at CES. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Glenn Stanway from Tiny Titan Studios and GamerCast. Thank you so much for, for all your contributions as well. Charles Smith and Anthony Barberin. Anthony Barberin, our NBA expert, thank you so much for all your knowledge. And Charles Smith, the man in the know when it comes to the NFL. And also hockey as well. You got to sit down with Josh and talk hockey. And I know you guys will be doing it again real soon. Everybody from all of Josh's shows that have appeared on our show, which includes the Super BS Gamescast, What About This, Topicocalypse, which I finally got right straight off the bat, Guardians of the Geek, Thank you so much for, for all your contributions as well. And our, some of our latest entries, Tyler Smith from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Just awesome to have you aboard as our fantasy football guru. Dylan Manus from the Punched Out Podcast. Great to have you aboard as far as our MMA guy in the know. All the other great organizations that help us, our board gaming expert, Salvador Villa, his place called Mario Party Wars. Check that out on Facebook. The Wine, Women, and Words podcast. You want to check that out today on podcast.com. Also as well, Galaxy Far, Far Away. Check out that podcast. And I'll tell you what, it's just been a great, great time indeed. But there's some big, big thank yous. And that goes to 
obviously John Sweeney Jr. of the Podcast Radio Network. We truly cannot thank you enough for allowing us onto the network. As I tell the old stories, I was sending you emails week after week. Please put our little show, put our little show on the air. And you finally did. And my goodness, one year later, look what's happened. It's been a great show indeed and great, great opportunity to work with you on this, this program. Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films, Tiny Titan Studios. He's the creative director there. All of his great stuff, his great movies and his great projects with Rob McCallum Films and all of his contributions. Our logos are because of you, man. And our name, Pop Culture Cosmos, is from you, man. So, And everything that you've done for the show, I cannot thank you enough, my brother. And also, last but not least, well, second to last but not least, is my co-host. And I want to say thank you, man. You've been nothing but cooperative and wanted to help out as much as you can. And I just truly cannot thank you for enough for everything you've done for the pop culture cosmos. Hey man, it's my pleasure. Honestly, like if you kind of got me into these podcasting things, we, are you crying? Gerald, do you, yeah. you crying? No, no, no. If you kind of got me into podcasting, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have most of the content out that I do now. So it's, it's been a fun ride so far, you know, it's not to say it's over. It's, it's no, no, it's not, not over by any stretch of the imagination, and we're hoping to build even a larger audience, but I know you probably curse my name when you're editing a, the third show in a row back-to-back for six hours. Gerard, it's your fault. But uh, it's, it, it's all content, know, man. It's all content. It's all content, indeed. I cannot thank you enough, my friend, for, for everything you've done for this show, and it's just truly amazing. And last but not least, the biggest thank you of all goes to you, the listener, for sitting in each and every week, whether you're in the car, whether you got it on earbuds, whether you got it on headphones, whether you're just listening on to whatever platform you are listening to. We cannot thank you enough for being part of a broadcast and listening to my lousy voice and his cool voice every single week. And here's hoping if you can like and also rate our program on iTunes as Josh said it's the currency of the realm when it comes to us podcasters. That would be great, and we would be indebted to you indeed. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome back to episode... Four. What? Four. Yeah. Episode four of Topicocalypse, <laughs> the only podcast on the internet where we don't know the episode numbering. Um, yeah, I'm joined here by Eddie Sheely. Eddie Sheely, who's an idiot, and I'm also joined by Brett Cruz, who is also an idiot, and then I'm joined by. I don't want to say my name. I don't want to be an idiot. 
Come on, dickless. Dead name <laughs> on there. An unnamed idiot. Just accepted. <laughs> just an anonymous idiot. Um, yeah, who are so you, idiot? I am Josh Peterson. Hey, I was supposed to introduce myself. I'm Josh Peterson, uh, a.k.a. idiot number four. And we, uh, how does this work? We, every, uh, every other week, right? We Something talk early. about, uh, we, we present you with each with our own topic and we break it down topic by topic. So you can listen to it on YouTube, podcast.com, iTunes, and all that good stuff. The um, Book of Faces. The Book of the Faces. Book of Faces. Yeah, you can follow us on Facebook. Send us emails if you want to talk about how much you don't like Eddie's haircut. Uh, just, just simple stuff like that, you know? And um, all right, well, we're going to start here today, right now. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. With a uh, something that kind of grossed me out on the internet today. You're a disturbed individual and I yeah, totally um, am not for all right, this. I'm so against we, it. We're right gonna now, watch this video. Putting it out there. Yeah. I will be your your announcer. Guys, you have to look at it, okay? All um, right, we've just pulled you up have a to look Facebook at it. page. It's Josh's. Okay. Yeah. And yes. the title is This Thirty One Year Old Has a Ninety One Year Old Girlfriend. It is okay. beautiful that love has been found. Yeah, look at that. It's like mid tongue action. Look at no. the way like no. the the camera captures the sunlight. It's such beauty in there. <sighs> it's almost you know Okay, I I have to press play. Guys, the rule is you can't look away. <laughs> I'm totally That's the only this. rule. They also tell me I have to tie. It's the only uh, rule on this podcast. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Oh, man, oh, oh has some good music. music. Dude, and she's dressing like a young woman. never dated a woman his own age. Some people are wired towards blondes, brunettes, big women, skinny women, various ethnicities. She doesn't even dress her age. That's beautiful. Look at that hand-holding action. There, there's oh. older and then there's ancient, bro. You know, his... You know, oh, he's wearing cost. Marilyn Manson Boom. shirt. That's Look why. at that. He finds gray hair his, and saggy his, breasts attractive. Maybe, maybe his grandma was in a nursing home and his parents used to force him to go to a nursing home and that's what got him. I don't even want to... Oh, look at that. Look at that. There's some tongue action going in there. Look at those wrinkles pulled back. <laughs> Boom. I bet she has fake teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and like three There's new There's no hips. way those are real. He's definitely just in it for the... Uh, Will? That's not his... Look at... for sure. Yeah, look at that. Dang. This guy's a player. He's he's playing the old ladies. Till we hop in bed. Oh! <laughs> Things get better with Dang. age. Nope, nope, yeah, nope. There we go. No. Well, the second one didn't look too old. I think that's her with a different wig on. This the dang, me- and she's kinky. Hey, for yeah, real, the music. Know. Let's talk about that music. For I'd a rather second. not, please. No, yeah. I'm not. You know, I felt it was the right move for that. Yeah. For that video, yeah, I put it totally in perspective. It was. Hey, we're here to party. We are here to party and lick dentures and all kinds of stuff. Granny's gone wild. Granny's gone wild. Do you think she puts like that denture paste on a little too thick and you get some of that in there, kiss too? Ooh, I wonder. Does it have like a minty taste to it? I don't know. All right, well, Daniel 
clearly got too disturbed and left the table. Okay, so this is my <laughs> this is what I want to talk to you guys about. So the the big thing, like I was I was there's an I was reading an article about this video about this guy, and it said that he you read more into it. Oh, I was I was curious, like I was fascinated, not in a weird way, but just because I I'd never seen anything like that before. <laughs> And so this we're guy, gonna, we're gonna guys, see. No, this is. So I thought Josh's this was, level of thought, depravity is. So this weekend, I thought this was a safety net. All right, this guys, we're church, supposed we to be the uh... be hanging around handicap parking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, can I use your placard? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so this is the thing. The guy was talking about how he doesn't like when people stare, and so that just brings me to my next topic: is why do people who do weird things get mad when people stare? Because uh, I don't like being judged. Yeah, but I mean, if okay, this this is my whole thing though. If I walked outside and I saw a penguin riding a velociraptor and telling me, "Don't worry about it," I'm, of course I'm going to stare at it because I've never seen it before. Yeah, that's your own fault. Sorry, you don't experience the world outside of your little bubble, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Well, bigot. <laughs> this guy <laughs> clearly hates old ladies. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's it's one of those things too, like. To me, there's that whole argument where, uh, you know, uh, old-fashioned people go out and they see, like, two dudes or two women kissing in public, and they're, like, they they stare at it, and the people get mad that they're staring, but I don't think it's so much out of hate as much as it is people, like, saying, you know, I'm just not used to seeing something like that, so they want to look at it naturally. as well. It's like, wait, why does that yeah. happen, or why does that work the way that it does? Like, if I saw, you know, you know any one of us... Maybe not Daniel, but, hey. <laughs> uh, you know, walking around, holding hands, you know, with a, an elderly woman, picking her up at the senior home, it would definitely draw, draw attention from, from others. Like it's not, it's, a, it's outside the norms, which I think is why right. people are stare. Right. And it's so sad people. So sad. You know, <clears throat> back in the day, it used to be weird for African-American and a Caucasian to walk down the street holding hands. You people, man. What do you mean, you people? You yeah. people. It's so sad that people just can't love nowadays. Guys, there is so much color at this table. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, the what? The t-shirts? <laughs> no, I, I think the whole I don't want to be stared at thing is, it's kind of, it's a counterproductive thing. It's like, it's, especially in that case with the, you know, 31-year-old and 91-year-old, it's just, you know you're going to get looks, so, I mean, don't be upset if you're out there doing something that's way out of left field or out of the norm. Just, you know, accept it. Like, if I was to walk around, you know, or ride around on the unicycle all day and didn't want people to look at me and stare at me, then I'm going to stop riding a unicycle in public. In public. There. Public. Have you seen... Okay, speaking of that, have you seen the... Is it the guy in Portland, Oregon, that rides around on a unicycle playing the bagpipes with... Uh, Dressed as Darth Vader, I think it is. No, mm-hmm. dude, just totally check it out. It's cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. But it, it it's weird because we're we're living in a time where the standards for normal are being redefined. I think, but I think that that comes every so often, though. Yeah, that's true. It's it's inevitable. But at the same time, where it's like if we stare at something, it's considered bullying, and that's something I don't really understand. Brink here from Super BS, talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. We're back. 
was a short little uh, little phone break that we took there, and uh, you know Daniel had to go outside again. Well, when you're physically ill from watching a 31 year old make it with a 91 year old, you've got to you know it's, it'd be kind of rude if I did it on What's microphone. What's about that, Daniel? Yeah. Everything. This is bullying. That is not bullying. You're being completely prejudiced against people not, who I'm like ageist. old ladies. It's ageism. Ageism. And your point. So if you were the only person left on this earth, the only male and the only female was like ninety one. It's not like she could reproduce, so there's Yeah, no she's point. already past menopause, so next yeah. question. But uh you know but, uh, men have needs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> As Eddie is tucking to his hand. <laughs> hey, thanks, Eddie. Over a ninety-one-year-old any day. Thank you very much. Not to turn the parental advisory on this episode, um, but yeah. Anyways, that was, that was that was my topic. I don't know if you guys have anything to add about that, but I mean, it's who knows. One day it might become acceptable. I doubt it, but um, <laughs> no, it's it does. It's like when he says he doesn't like people looking at him. That's just. Well, you know... You're doing something that's not ordinary. That's way out of the ordinary. Yeah. Like, if she was... Okay, if you were 31 and she was, like, 51, people would might not look at it differently. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a 60-year gap. Yeah. And, you know, it's weird, too. Like, even, like, younger couples, I don't enjoy sitting there watching them make out either. Yeah, I mean, holding hands is one thing. I mean, he could be holding hands with his grandma. They don't know. But yeah. when you start... Then the second you start to... You, you know, really shut, yeah. Shove your tongue down her throat and taste her denture cream, then you've got... <laughs> yeah. What does that look like? I... There's a video. <laughs> <laughs> I am not can describing de- that. Can you describe this to me? I, I wonder if there was a tape where her dentures like. popped out. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, yeah, no. Okay, well, let, let, me, let me close this out with, with another question to you. I always find this interesting to people, like what they think is an acceptable age gap between two people dating. And I always say it's like 10 years because then you ha- you have start taking on like another generation. But what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? That's a, I've never really thought of it, but like I guess 10 to 12 years would probably be max. Like if I saw an eighteen-year-old and the forty-year-old, yeah, it'd be kind of no. Crazy. I mean, let, let's take out like we're, let's not even like. I, obviously, you're not going to be an older man dating a high school person because that'll get you in prison. But I mean, from like college, 18. from like college on, though, like what do you think is an appropriate age gap? Like the whole sugar daddy thing or sugar mama thing, or I think max is like fifteen years. Fifteen, absolutely max. Yeah, mm, I mean. I don't know if I would say that there there would be a max because it's I don't know it's so subjective because the you know people always say you know girls mature faster than guys so right. if there's you know obviously she's ninety one and he's thirty one so, so she's, she's obviously she's, way she's been more maturing mature. a long time <laughs> then, but that's she's it. been fermenting she gets the <laughs> McDonald's discount. But like, like you said, you know, it is all, I guess, subjective because you get those people that see, uh, you know, a twenty-something-year-old chick with a fifty-year-old man. They're like, good for him. But if it's flipped, they're like, oh, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like it, it varies. You know, depend on who, like, who's looking yeah, at the situation. The, if the woman is older, it's considered, you know, kind of more okay if she's a decade or more older. Yeah. But if the guy's older, it's always like, ooh, he's like. Predatory, or you know, and she's yeah. just in it for yeah. the money. There's really no love there. Yeah, and there's some people that do that for the money, or they do it specifically because they want the attention, which is a whole nother 
psychology yeah, rabbit hole yeah. we don't necessarily need to go down but i mean there's there's some people that want that attention and then do it which is kind of odd that this guy is kind of the opposite of that he because seems he's like so he's breaking the norm genuine about it like he actually this is what he likes like what he wants i just want to go out and make out with a 90 year old and everybody be cool Okay, yeah, good luck with so, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how that worked out for you. How oh, do you wait. think he met her, though? Ooh. Do you think he was, like, cruising the halls of Leisure World with flowers in his hand? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. It's his ex-girlfriend's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He uses their database, like, Match.com, and he picks off, like, still mobile. Uh, still mobile. <laughs> two new hips and two a new, new hips. I'd like to know if he works for the Social Security Administration <laughs> so he can find who's... Pulling in the Ooh. big dough and then goes after that. Sounds like a really good plan. I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> right. Daniel has had a change life of heart. insurance yeah. and retirement leftover How money. Kids are left in in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey everyone, venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, and we are back to Super BS. We got something special today, but I don't want to ruin it yet. I am Brian Brink, Burson Wagner, and this is episode 23, August 24th, 2017. Who's sitting across from me? It's uh, Josh Jankerson. Josh Peterson. Jank Jankerson. Jankerson. Nice to see you. And we got somebody that's super special with us from the beginning, back for the triumvirate return. Badooch. Who is it? Uh, hey, it's me, Dave. Um, <laughs> no! I was actually a good impersonation. Talk to you guys about the stocks. Um, <laughs> no! There's a bunch of numbers and they mean stuff that only I know. Can we talk um, about Quake 3 for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Those are things Dave loves. Everyone knows he's <laughs> stocks and Quake. Those are the two. That's all, that's all, that's all he knows. So, do you want to hit us up with where you've been? What have you been doing? You've been playing games nonstop all day. Well, for day. one, I'm not Dave. I am Donna. <gasps> no! What? Yes. This is a surprise. What? I have been in the hospital for two months. Oh, my goodness, man. Just partying like a rock star? Or? Partying, yeah. It was a hospital party. I went in, and uh, you wouldn't believe the stuff that happens at a hospital <laughs> it party. It was such a great party. He didn't want to leave. Well, you know, those the doctors and the nurses, they work year-round, so... They just take one two-month party vacation a year. <laughs> two-month party vacation. And Eric got the VIP got this the VIP. year. Lady Madonna, VIP. Um, you don't have to say more if you don't want, but we can also talk about what we've been playing. Yeah. What have you been playing, Donna? I actually want to um, hear because you've probably played the most since you've been gone for Yeah, like I've been months. playing a game that's similar to Dr. Mario, and it's where... You sit in a hospital bed, and then doctors come in the room <laughs> and say, hey, this is wrong. We're going to give you these pills, and then they combine colors to get rid of things or shots, whatever. It's the Dr. Um, Luigi. Yeah, Dr. Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Hospital um, edition. No, nah, but uh, for reals, I've been playing kind of bits of things. I Oh, wait, so you weren't playing Dr. Mario. <laughs> no, I was just in the hospital <laughs> getting treated for two months, so... Um, oh. 
Ouch. I started my yearly playthrough of Final Fantasy IV, um, which I have down to about, you know, memorized because I do it every year. If you had to speed run it, how fast could you get through that game? I don't know. Um, probably pretty, but it's so, it's so hard for me not to go to do all the secret stuff. I mean, there's not even that much compared to like a later Final Fantasy, but... There's enough secret stuff that it would be hard for me to like speed run, but I bet I could get through it in, I'm not a speed runner, so um, probably like 12 hours. Cause my, my last, my last like completionist run was like 17 hours. That's quick. Yeah. Um, it's not that long. Like Final Fantasy four, Chrono Trigger, those were like 25 hour games for anyone. And then Final Fantasy VI can be a longer affair, but that's kind of where it starts getting, they get longer. I was surprised because I was playing the mobile Final Fantasy III, mm-hmm. and uh, like I was, I'd played it for maybe like four hours, and I was already about halfway through the game. Um, yeah, that one is, it, it does get, it is a little bit longer probably than the original Final Fantasy III, because you played the DS remake, right. which was ported to phones, and it's got all the expanded story and stuff but it does the it does have the job class system from that that's the first game final fantasy 3 that the job class popped up in which is cool but yeah so i've been playing that i've been playing a little bit of uh bastion just replaying that because i have it and wait real quick back to four though are you gonna play the after years you didn't mention that oh because i don't mention that <laughs> <laughs> the best wait, you mean better than final fantasy 4 i haven't played final fantasy 4 so what is, what's bad about the after years the after years is not final fantasy 4 the after years is like a sequel thing they made an episodic wii game that they made like yeah it's better than final <laughs> like <laughs> i want to say like Way seven better. or eight years ago i could be wrong about that it's um is it's connected to four or it's not yeah you play as well spoiler alert but you play as the son of two of the main characters which is actually not entirely true because the game is episodic and the episodes focus on different characters tella and tella's clone stella yeah (laughs) um so on one episode you play as that kid another episode you play as like rydia from the first from the original four and so there is it's got throwback potential but the story is a little, it's a little modern, too modern square for its own good, meaning that it's a little ridiculous. So how do they make the boys and all the belts and all the shorts? <laughs> so fortunately, Tetsuya Nomura did not have anything to do with it. So there's not a lot of shorts and belts. Um, the, the, the character designs are actually cool. Seeing like the updated designs of older characters, like, characters from the first game and then the main kid uh, doesn't look that bad. He's kind of cool looking, um, but it's not great. Um, it just kind of ends with like a weird, like a ends with a weird cliffhanger, and it's like it's, they're not gonna do anything more with it. It reminds it's it's almost as bad as the audio drama of Final Fantasy X. Oh, you mean uh, the best thing that we talked about that we loved? Yeah, uh, previous <laughs> months ago. Yeah, and you mentioned Bastion too. No, no, just Bastion 1. Oh, um, oh I only like the sequel, though. <laughs> uh, the sequel. I never played Transistor because, you know, they abandoned Xbox for whatever reason. Well, they've got to give uh, power to the gamers, right? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. yeah it's funny. I, I might never play a super giant game again because I don't own any modern Sony consoles right now. And Final Fantasy XIV is the only reason I'd want to. And maybe the super awesome version of Dragon Quest XI, but... Yeah. Um, well, hopefully that'll be one of the Switch games. But I'm not like as amazing as Bastion is, and as amazing as Transistor looked, and as 
interesting as Pyre looks. Like, I won't buy a Sony system for freaking super giant games. Um, I'll just buy that dude's soundtracks because they're usually amazing. What would get you to buy a PlayStation 4? Uncharted. Un- Lost Uncharted. Legacy. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Games I really hate. Um, uh, there isn't really anything. Um, just a good deal. Yeah. I'd buy one, you know, in another year or two when it's like it's same same circumstances. I bought my PS3 back alley, you know, <laughs> literally really. in a back alley. I, mean, actually, I will never, I I will never that. do that again because that ended up being kind of a rip, but not really. But just yeah, but there was some unexpected side effects. The person that was selling it to me did not know what model he was selling me. So and with PlayStation 3, that was a big deal right. because they had a billion models of that system. Yeah, one model has backwards compatibility. One model has zero memory. Like That was one thing that I'm glad they fixed with PS4 is they didn't make... I don't even remember how many SKUs, but there was a 20, a 60 gigabyte, an 80 gigabyte, an 80 gigabyte, no backwards compatibility, 120. Like PS3 is the craziest the console hardware SKU. and PS3 was super cheap too. Like I had mine, the inside of mine melted and that's yeah. why it stopped working. Oh, that's just the cell architecture. <laughs> you mean it's not cheap. It's expensive and good. It's, it's cellular. <laughs> so I want it just, cellular. Yeah. It just melts and then resells. All, all but I was going to say, what would get me to buy a PS4 is a really cheap deal. Because I would really be there's the problem is is that the exclusives, ninety percent of them I'm not interested in playing. I'd play Horizon, I'd play Final Fantasy fourteen because I already have a fifty or so character until they stopped supporting it on PS three. Uh, um, you can't you play a, you can't play it on PS three. No, they ended service for it. It's a, I believe there's a free upgrade. I don't know if it's a trial period for that free upgrade. Like it's a free upgrade if you start between now and September, but I because I. I kept hearing they're going to release it on Xbox One, so I was like, "There's still chances of that, yeah." Because they talked about something happened where I remember reading an IGN thing where it was like, "Oh, it might be on Switch and Xbox, like still up in the air." So if it's on Switch, that'd be rad. That would be cool. The only problem is the portability won't work, so it'd be a cool thing. I still feel like a game like Final Fantasy XIV, they should try to make a solo part of it as well, since you can solo almost the whole game. For portability, though, as long as you had an internet signal, like a Wi-Fi signal, wouldn't you be able to... Yeah, but I mean, like, the fidelity of it. I mean, it's a a pretty game. Yeah. It'd be rough on the Switch. It'd be rough on... The Switch would have a lot of reasons, but, yeah, if they made, like, a a single-player portion of it, or even the ability to play some of it offline, I know they would never do this, because they make all their money through the online portion of it. But you don't always have to play it with people, though, right? don't exactly. but you have to pay for the subscription and be in a way but before we get back to more of what donna's been playing we mentioned some uh sony <laughs> sony first party games old jankerson what have you been playing i've been playing uncharted the lost legacy <laughs> i know this is, this, this is a sore subject with everybody but it was 40 bucks and i figured why not so, so. the full msrp you mean like you didn't get a deal on it <laughs> no so. no the game seems like the temple of doom of uncharted games it, it pretty much is but I will give them this so that they had have created a game that makes the series feel kind of fresh because you're not playing as Nathan Drake. You're playing as two characters who are introduced in the Drake series, but it feels like its own tale, like it could exist in its own universe. I, just for me, the thing that sounded interesting was they mentioned there's an open world section of it. But the thing that totally shot that down is from everyone I've heard about is that open world section is is just a chapter of the game and you have to do every single thing that's in there before you leave that chapter. Uh, see, I, I haven't. I'm I'm on chapter three right now. But what I do like that it's um like the the other Uncharted games are very 
the, it's linear, yes, but the areas you can explore are very small. But in this one, you're driving around in a in a jungle, and you're actually the areas are, are pretty big, so they're easy to get lost in. But that's I'm, that's that section. That's oh, is that is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, well then I'm I guess a, it's not as open world as I thought. I'm mostly interested in the map technology. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard about this, but the map is like your actual in the map that she holds is the same as your menu map, and so when she crosses things out, she actually does. In the real menu. In that type of technology, menu. that's something I could get behind. It was Whoa. worthy of a Kotaku article. <laughs> yeah. Everything uh, Sony-related is worthy of a Kotaku article. <laughs> it seems like Kotaku needs a lot of things to huh. write about. But it's, uh, yeah, Uncharted Lost Legacy, the biggest draw for me is the fact that seven hours versus Uncharted 4 with its, I want to say it was... 20 plus hours some people said and right. I, I couldn't i couldn't finish well, that uncharted game, so. 4 was it's like it was is a long game like that, it, there's a lot of places where it should have just ended and yeah. it didn't yeah it should have ended before the first one came out is what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> miss this gonna give in those ribs man <laughs> um, you gotta give those tickles. hey but i'm still on the high from hellblade though that's i still love that game it looks cool i wish it would come to more things but on top of that i just wish i cared more to play it yeah. Um, did you get to play anything else? No, that's all I've had time for. I actually want to ask Donna because we talked about this uh, oh, previously yeah. off air. What you... would get me to play Uncharted if it was Nicolas Cage instead of Nathan Drake? That would be awesome. Games basically feel like the national what about treasure of video Mark games. Wahlberg? Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. That would see. Okay. I would with Mark Wahlberg. It would just all be a darker game instantly. <laughs> well, he's actually unless it was like a Mark Wahlberg slash Will Ferrell game. <laughs> Will Ferrell's the cameo guy or the, no, the team? No, no, they're the teammates from uh, you, other guys. Yeah. You, you can't have a Will Will Ferrell in without John C. Riley, though. It's true. Yeah, but, I no. don't think I've seen a Will a good Will Ferrell movie without John C. Riley. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a good movie without John C. Riley. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> if it's a good movie, John C. Riley is somehow in it. So. Yeah. Even cameo. But you've been playing some other things too. You mentioned Fallout Four. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of Fallout Four. Um, same gripes as always. It's a cool game, except there's base building, which is freaking annoying, and settlement micromanagement, which is annoying. Isn't that our favorite thing on this it's show? It's our favorite thing. I Actually, since the last time we complained about it, I read an article that hinted that they were trying to put that kind of junk in Skyrim. Nice. And they couldn't fit it in. And I was like, oh my gosh, if they do that in the next Elder Scrolls game, that could turn it into a pass for me which would be insane don't they already have those achievements on xbox where you have to build a house you have to go out yeah, and like chop up the wood and mine the ore i don't know if that's how you do it though isn't it just like a gold i didn't play it the hearth stone hearth or whatever it is yeah oh yeah. no that's that's that has nothing to do with like it's not quite the same okay and also it's it's a dlc so it's very take it or leave it but like the settlement building in Fallout Four is like a main like a main mechanic. So you have to. And it's do not it. it's not just building a custom sweet house, which is what it is in uh, Hearth. Yeah, Stone Hearth or something like that. It's got Hearth. Hearthstone. <laughs> Hearth, Hearthstone, the card game. Um, you build houses. No, it's like you just you just kind of build a sweet house. I forget if your house gets attacked or something. That doesn't sound familiar to me. No, I don't um, think it has the the constant defense mechanics. But yeah, like having to like like you know manually place beds for settlers and they're all useless they don't do anything that's the thing is well, it's they like complain a lot so yeah I mean, <laughs> if if it was like you do, could is that is that part of it they come up to you and they say things well some yeah, of them they say the like, oh we need beds but it's like you can't empower your settle like you can't give your settlers materials and they'll put together things for you while you're gone that you have to do it all and then they get attacked and, and so it's like you're, too, you're, you're in the middle of a quest 
and you're doing something and you get a little pop-up notice like, hey, I know that you can't leave this area without failing a quest, but your settlement's under attack. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is, is so is stupid. kind of like when you play uh, like Pokemon and it says, you've been poisoned and your screen flashes, but there's no Pokemon centers nearby? Yeah. Man, <laughs> it's it's the Radiant quests they're called that uh, Bethesda's been adding into games where they're never-ending side quests. Yeah, they're constantly regenerating. They're just dumb. Like, that's why most games don't have them is because it's like, well, this isn't fun. Like, I don't need to go kill this bandit camp because there's nothing special there at all. Right. That's just like a weird side thing. See, the thing, though, the thing is, though, in Skyrim, I don't mind them so much because going sneaking through a bandit camp and sneak headshotting people with a bow is always so fun. Yeah, I just still think, though, they're not necessary. They're way worse in Fallout 4, but I just think, like... You go back to the old games that have just a few side quests, but all of them are amazing. Or go to Oblivion that didn't have any regenerating or repeating side quests. Yeah. Every single one of those side well, no, quests. No, like are Fallout fun. Three and New Vegas like had like a limited number of side quests and that was great. Yeah. Fallout three I want to say was like nine. Fall- like there was an achievement for every side quest. That was, was twenty. That was the last it's, Fallout game I played was three. Oh, I like three a lot. He's great. Loves- I love three. It's New Vegas is better. So yeah. Okay, I don't know. Speaking of Bethesda though, didn't they uh there, people are playing uh, the VR Skyrim, Skyrim at oh, they, uh, heard Gamescom. Sucks, yeah. They're saying it sucked, but they're still releasing it. They announced their release date yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, what are you I, do? You know, what's funny is I see uh, my my one of the things that I've been what can't like holding in. I can't wait to complain about on this show is um, Facebook. You know, they give you like articles all the time and stuff, right? From gaming news quotation marks websites that are like ad infested crap holes. And it's like top. We six run one of those. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> top, uh, top six games from E3, and it's like Skyrim VR. It's like no one thought that. Yeah. Um, who wrote? Who it's, writes that? It was disappointing that most of E3 this year, when it came to Bethesda, was like Skyrim VR, and the only Skyrim property I'm kind of interested in is the Switch um, version. And it's yeah. only because I want to play it on the go. Yeah. Like I don't really want to replay the game. I just want to have it on the go i wonder because i feel like a large portion of sony's fan base like hates games like skyrim because they're not japanese rpgs and they can't play like it's like amnesiac like preteen boys it's a lot i think like bethesda's main audience is like xbox and pc players yeah Yeah. but what i was going to say is i wonder i wonder if like the 4chan crowd will still like crawl to sony's underpants area (laughs) Like worshiping them for Skyrim VR, just because it's Sony. That's, yeah, maybe so. we'll we'll have to see when that comes out. I I feel bad for all PSVR owners, but I want to get to that in the news. Um, but I just there's not a lot of games coming out for yeah. it. And we we talked about this last week, but I do want to bring it up again this week coming in the news. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Something um, I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Speaking on my little tangent on like f- like really crappy game websites. I want to call it specifically the gamer.com. If you're listening, you suck. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> is that, it's like is a ter- it's like a list website. Uh, and I read a list of 12 uh, like 12 or 15 or 5 reasons that every Final Fantasy game is in the same universe even though it's been clear from the very beginning that that's absolutely not true. Yeah, especially with um, games like Endless. And there are one of their main reasons was because Gilgamesh is in a couple uh, games. Yeah, I was reading that. He's not in every game, first of all. Yeah. And again, those are just like they didn't they didn't even mention like chocobos and things like that, I don't think. And I I read that and I was like, man, whoever wrote this is an idiot. And 
I think it's just one of those things where they have to have so many articles. Yeah. Um, but I want to take a break pretty soon. But before we do that, uh, did you have another game you want to talk oh, about? Oh, you know, let me just correct myself. The list wasn't 10 reasons or whatever that Final Fantasy games are in a shared universe. It's like 10 or 15 lies about Final Fantasy that you believe or something like that. And they're like, that it's in a shared universe. And it's like, even though the Square has constantly stated that it, they're not, um, they definitely are because of my expert like they keep finding skills. it's like coincidence I want to take coincidences and make them into fact and it's just yeah. not yeah. there's a million reasons why Final Fantasy games can't be in the same universe but yeah it's articles like that are just clickbait because yeah. they know that people are probably searching Final Fantasy especially after 15 news. gamer.com you are clickbait trash <laughs> we love you uh, real quick before we go to <laughs> a break I want to talk about the one game I played and completed what did you play this week oh I didn't even talk about Sonic Mania oh really oh do you want did to you mention play it? it real quick yeah I did oh, play nice. it nice okay. yeah, well, the game that Josh said he was going to play I well, multiple I, times I want to play it but I just haven't gotten oh, around yeah, to it yet it's not on nothing right it's not on Xbox PlayStation yeah, Switch I'm PC just, I'm waiting for it to hit Game Gear anyways Donna what do you think about it um, it's pretty cool it's basically having memorized the level order from the old Sonic games like if if I if I if it was called Sonic 2 like I would believe that it's the same game as like an old game it's pretty it's yeah. pretty similar. It, it looks rad too. Like but it's fun. Sonic Sonic games are so weird because they're like exploring like levels are non aren't linear. I mean they are ultimately linear as in left to right, but it's like to get there sometimes it's like you go down up backwards through all these different ways and there's like multiple pathways to get there for the most part. So but the game is supposed to move fast cuz Sonic is like a fast moving character. So it's like a weird juxtaposition of like it feels like you should explore this level, but you don't because you're a fast character. So it's interesting. There like is, it. It's a lot of puzzle solving too. Like you, you wouldn't think that, but I went, I was playing the, uh, the second one on mobile and it like, yeah, I hate mobile games, but, you um, love them. Yes. I love you to hate them. They, dog. um, but yeah, it's a lot, a lot of times I was like stopping and I had to like look around to see what the next place was that I could go. But I guess my question to you though is, is there an overarching story in Sonic Mania, or is it you just jump into it and play? Yeah, um, Sonic is, it's called Sonic the Lost Legacy, and uh, he's exploring, he's exploring it's, it's India. Funny. <laughs> it's great because it's not, you know, it's not about Sonic, but it's about two characters introduced in Sonic. Um, no, I'm just kidding. There oh, are, <laughs> I, I'm, I was believing you. <laughs> I was this repeating verbatim your description of Uncharted. Lost Legacy. <laughs> uh, I thought you got that instantly when he made the first joke. No, no. Um, okay, before we go on break, though, I want to talk about what I played just because I love it. I don't want to say a whole lot about it just because... I want to remind the audience that this is where you pretend to care, but, you know... Yeah, this is the part where you actually care. I know you they're guys all, have just been pretending. <laughs> they're all looking at pictures of Brian they're, and nodding. They've been pretending for years <laughs> to care about everyone else's speech, but... <laughs> Here we go. Um, no, I finished uh, Undertale this week. I finally played it. You know, it's a two-year-old PC game. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's great. It's definitely the most emotional game that I can remember playing at least in 10 years. Like, I can't remember feeling this way since, I, 
maybe Final Fantasy X 2, the song that Yuna sings, like at that moment, or some scenes in that game. It's a thousand words. It's not technically Yuna, but... Uh, yeah, it's a thousand <laughs> words. Technically, the song she sings, nobody knows the title. But I haven't it's, beaten that game multiple times. Oh, uh, so. yeah. Nobody, definitely Don doesn't know any of the titles of the game. It's Final, what is Final Fantasy? Um, but no, it's, it's great. It's got a really cool soundtrack, and there's just so... So many cool things, and for the listeners who did play it, I, and for the listener, I should say, who did play it, you're out there, we know you. Um, there is, uh, I played it both True Pacifist and Genocide, I didn't do True Genocide yet, but it's it's great. Check it out, check out the soundtrack. I love it, I will probably play it more, um, but we want to get back to you real quick before we get into the news, so we're going to take a quick break of poo. Bye. Hey everyone, venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back. Nice to know ya. We actually got something, some big news today about the game that started this all. Um, Donna, regale me on what happened at Gamescom this week regarding oh. our favorite series. Well, uh, Ubisoft <laughs> burped. Bar- burped into Final Fantasy XV's mouth and announced a uh, Assassin's Creed like DLC. And I think they announced a, a Final Fantasy DLC for Assassin's Creed. Right? Really? I I didn't Wait, read that portion. Did they? I I know because I saw in the picture uh, the Assassin's Creed. I thought was they said Noctis's something. Sword or yeah, something. No, yeah, no, I thought they said something like there's going to be a a reverse of that. Oh, that'd be cool. That's right. But I could be totally making that. Could be totally the gamer dot coming that. So. I mean that I, that wouldn't surprise me. That'd be fun. I'd be down for that. You know what's funny? I learned something today too about this. This isn't new. They did this same thing for Final Fantasy thirteen two. You could dress Noel up as uh, the guy from Assassin's Creed Revelations. Yeah. Whatever. It's Apparently just, there was Mass Effect armor in thirteen two as well. Yeah, I don't know how you got that. They, I wonder if you had to buy it or something. But this, they actually have like specially designed challenges in Final Fantasy, right? And a special yeah. and a story like a yeah. A but it's like story. only if you did the Moogle Carnival stuff. So <laughs> which all of us did. Did you? Well, did you watch the trailer? Because there's like a special like captain of the empire that's that's you're assassinating all of his uh his peeps what yeah no i didn't i actually did not watch the trailer did you see it no i no yeah it doesn't seem like we yeah i I think there's like a specific within the assassin's carnival i think there's a specific story that goes along with it no i just saw the headline and then fell sick so (laughs) threw up all everywhere couldn't watch the trailer so that's not the only 15 news oh yeah the mobile edition yeah, the pocket edition, a chibi. <laughs> yeah, the chibi edition. Yeah. Um, but you were mentioning that there's a pocket edition of Final yes. Fantasy 15. Um, now there's there's not a lot of details on it because they showed a trailer for it and it's literally like a chibi version of the intro. Yeah. So I can't tell like how truncated of a of a game this is going to be. It would be hilarious if it was literally the same game but just in chibi. I hope that's what it is. That's what I was wondering is because it's episodic, but are you still free to travel about the Oh, it will not be world. free. It'll be the first episode free and then the whole game costs you 20 bucks. But the, yeah, the yeah. thing that I'm concerned about is 
another news article where they, the director said that they're going to try to port Final Fantasy 15 to a system that rhymes with Twitch. Um, so I'm assuming it's Nintendo Switch. Did they talk about that? That's what he said. That like was the R system, the bitch. Yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if it is to Switch, I'm really worried they're gonna port the the mobile version. Like they've been getting Switch has quite a few mobile games on it I right now. I feel like they wouldn't do that because that wouldn't build a lot of goodwill with the fans. Eh, Square Enix doesn't really care that much about building goodwill with fans right now. But the issue is that. The Nintendo Switch can't play Final Fantasy 15. I mean, that's just... They could it. down-res it. it I yeah. think it could. Because I, f- I feel like they could do it like if Skyrim could be down-res to well, Nintendo. Skyrim's a lot older. Well, we don't... We yeah. haven't seen... Like, we haven't seen Skyrim. This is true. So, we don't know what that's going to end up like. Right. right. I mean, there's got to be a reason that they're being like, here's a trailer that's clearly better than it's actually going to look like. <laughs> and we're not going to talk about it for another six months yeah exactly. i don't does anybody even know the release date on that i yet? looked on amazon it, it, it's just a generic december 29th release date they, they did they did the release date in tamriel years which is impossible to interpret into earth years so nice who knows you got to find all the gods yeah. Molog ball or whatever yeah, go through all the towers yeah um yeah i i don't know i would love that game on switch at this point i don't know if i'd like play through it all again i did love it but like if if there was just a down res and it was 540p and 720p and I was just losing a little bit of pixelation, I'd be okay with that. Like and, I I would love to play it on the go. And if they took the DLC and they incorporated it into the game, so you have be to cool. play it separately, that would be that would sell yeah. me for sure. That would yeah. be awesome. Like a definitive edition, that would be cool. Yeah. I just don't right now Final Fantasy 15 seems like the weirdest thing that Square Enix is trying to keep alive with like that multiplayer DLC that's almost a and totally that, different game. That's another campaign in itself. They said it takes yeah. place in between what's those the 10 years that Noctis is in that cave oh, or whatever. Nice. Oh, okay. interesting. That's really yeah. cool, but it's what is what are you going to do though now? Like, yeah, I'm, I think see I I'm okay with Final Fantasy 15 being kind of a live thing because I I found I found the characters and the world, the setting, the music, I found everything really compelling. Obviously, there's a lot of shortcomings with the end of the game. Yeah. But I think because of those shortcomings, there's almost like reason for them to continue to flesh it out. It sounds like a cop-out, but if it works, it works. There, well, people are still interested in that world, though. So I, th- I feel like even though they're not making a direct sequel, like there's still an, an interest in it. That would be a weird trip, a direct sequel. Because yeah. the ending is fairly ambiguous, too. I don't want them to do any more direct sequels. I would rather I would have rather a DLC. Fi- I would rather have just Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, being completely honest. Yeah. I would, if they do want to tie anything up or you know wrap a bow on it, give us a DLC, but don't make us do Final Fantasy 15 2 or any of that stuff. I like. I would. I all I want to know is what happened to Noctis in that ten but years. I, That's I, took oh, an oh, epic you, nap. You mean that cave part? That cave part. I don't, like. I I just want to know where he is. I'll tell you after the break. <laughs> I'll tell you after the break. <laughs> nice. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. 
Ookaduke. Now we're back. And we something I brought up last week, but I actually want to talk about again because some new stuff changed. We were talking about uh, VR and uh, what I think is the decline in interest. Um, we mentioned last week that the Oculus Rift was dropped from 800 for the headset plus the touch controllers to 400 now. And recently, between last week and this week, Steam's VR, Vive VR, whatever, dropped to 600, where it was 800. Um, this isn't our main topic or anything, but I just want to bring that up because we've all had like really big opinions on VR. And I was just curious what you guys think. I wonder if this is actually like the decline of it or just reboots whenever the next headsets come out. I think it's it's not like it's not the market that they were hoping for. I feel like that people thought that the idea was cool at the time, but you know, once they they got their hands on, they got to play it. I don't think that they I if people would rather sit on their couches with a, with a controller and not have to worry about all that stuff. See, I think the people that thought it was cool were like executives, th- like people that think new technology always sells. And then, and then people behind technology because, you know, it's like the same thing in any industry. Like the people that make stuff, they like to push things forward. But like if you were to ask 90, like, I don't know, like a large percentage of gamers, like before VR was a thing, like, hey, what do you want to see in games? Oh, I want more games or I want another sequel of this or I want a system that's this powerful. But I doubt anyone would have said, man, I really wish virtual reality was a thing. <laughs> Well, yeah. to me, it's like, you know, those TVs that they sell with like the, it's the curved. UHD, the curved. Ugh, it's so like, dumb. I, you know, the novelty of it is cool. Like it, you see it at the store, you're like, oh, this is rad. I wish I had one. And then you'd probably take it home and you'd be like, this sucks. I wish I could stop having to turn my head every time I want to see something. Yeah. What if you have more than two people over? You can't watch curved TVs with tons of people, you know, like yeah. I know it's not crazy curved, but it is curved substantially enough. So, I don't know. I just want to see what you guys thought Same about. Same with 3D TV. Remember that? Yeah. Oh. Uh, that, they were, like, really banking on that for a while. Yeah. And that was, that thankfully disappeared pretty quick. But um, now if we but just I think, get 3D movies out of theaters. Yeah. Tell me. I, I hate that. That, speaking of movies, though, this is something we haven't talked about for a long time. Did you guys read about MoviePass? Yeah. And I heard yeah. AMC's trying to dodge it. Yeah, they're trying to stop it. They're trying to block it. Uh, we don't have our lawyer here today, but they're trying to like legally block it, even though what you guys know what it is, right? Yeah, it's a pat you pay, it's like ten bucks a month, right? Yeah, or, but it's not it's not sold by the movie theaters. Like it's sold by a company named MoviePass. They give you a debit card, they pay for the rest of the tickets. Oh, okay. So it's hard for AMC to stop them because it's really just a debit well, card that you're using. Let me ask you guys this. So they're saying like um box office uh ratings are going down like they're decreasing drastically and i feel like it's because it's not because people are not interested in movies anymore i feel like it's because people don't want to go and spend a movie ticket now is 15 dollars. yeah it's It's crazy expensive so why you know it's only for five more dollars you could wait until it comes out on like digital or blu-ray or something you could just own it forever yeah, I I can't I can't understand why they decided to do that. But the theater experience is still the theater experience. This is true. I love going to the movies. I mean, I prefer to watch movies at the movie theater. I never watch movies at home. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I just think fifteen dollars makes it hard for a lot of totally. people. You but know, I see like three movies a year. So yeah, and if you're because if you don't have a family, if you're not taking like an entire family to go see the movie, that's you know it's not like no. Chris Nolan was saying that the. Uh, he hates the Netflix design because it takes the fun out of the movie theater experience. But, you know, if you're taking like three or four kids with you, that's an expensive night. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's like 50 to 100 bucks. Um, we have to actually make this episode a little bit short today. So I actually want to get to the topic of our week because it's kind of <laughs> could take a while. And before I want to get to what our opinions are, we actually had some people who responded on Insta grams at super bs games cast and i want us to uh to take some time reading those um lady madonna could you read um yeah 27 rabbits you wrote star wars knights of the old republic which is wrong um final (laughs) fantasy 13 which is also wrong and Final Fantasy VI, which is right. No, uh, twenty-seven rabbits. What was? What <laughs> I'm, was just, the, I'm just kidding. This yeah. is see. That's the funny thing about favorites. It's just opinions. So. What's he responding yeah. to? This is what's responding your favorite to. RPG. What's your favorite, oh, okay. Josh? What's my, okay. Well, clearly, so, Final Fantasy twelve is your favorite, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> your favorite, um, Josh. <laughs> no, wait. No, these are these are good choices. I think Final Fantasy thirteen gets a bad rap for no reason. Now, if he wrote Final Fantasy thirteen two. My wrong would be, you'd, it's a fact, it is bad. You'd so, have some yeah. problems with that. You would have. You, you can say Final Fantasy thirteen. you could say Lightning Returns, but Final Fantasy thirteen two is is it. garbage, yeah. That's, that's it. Jank, do you want to read our uh, our next person who... Uh, oh, yeah. Do I need to bust mine out here? Yeah. Okay, let's see. I want it's, to... Uh, it's pretty cool. All right, hold up. Getting there. I don't want to cause like. I'm just gonna read it first. Um, Please do. Super Mario RPG from Wait. Nostalgia Plays. Yeah, okay, go. Cool. Also wrong. Oh um, no, that's no, that's a fantastic <laughs> game. Um, yeah, what, what he gave a reason though, right? I think. Yeah, they went beyond Mario characters, great humor, and those button timings added some needed flavor to the classic JRPG format. Yeah, Super Mario RPG is a hilarious game, super fun. I love how quirky Mario games can be. It makes me think of like some of the newer Mario RPGs, which are can be hit or miss with certain aspects but they're always funny like even we've talked about dream team on here before yeah which is an insanely long game and you spend 40 hours of the game just going through tutorials but the the writing is hilarious yeah well i just i love that game i even responded back to a nostalgia plays that's the first rpg i not the first RPG I beat, but I got almost the end, and that's really the first one I remember playing. Uh, but I want to thank Nostalgia Plays and 27 Rabbits. Nostalgia Plays, you rule. You've actually commented twice. We uh, we have one more comment. Um, Do we? Yeah. I thought that was from us. Uh, no. This one is from Mark Batstone, someone we do not know oh, at never, all. I've never met him or lived with him. I don't, yeah, I don't know who he's he is. He's never been my roommate before. And we've never lived with him as a group. Um, he wrote Ocarina of Time or Majora's, I assume Majora's Mask. They just fun is what he wrote. And I agree. They is just they fun. Is classic fun. Mark. I mean, I don't know Mark, but it sounds like classic if, Mark. If you did know Mark, would if that be, would we that be knew Mark, Mark, it would be a classic if, moment. If of Mark him. was someone that I've known for 10 plus years and spent countless hours with, I'd say that's classic Mark. Classic it's Mark. not classic. true again, but... So I'm actually going to give my favorite RPG, and hey, then I'll let you guys what talk. What is your favorite RPG? Um, I would have to go, and this is cliche, but I just enjoy it so much. i got to go with Chrono Trigger. Wrong. It, it's wrong. wrong. <laughs> it's False. You are wrong. It is, uh, to me, it's probably the perfect RPG. It's, it's really hard because I, I really do love Undertale, which I mentioned in the games we played, and I think that might be up in my top ten RPGs played. I don't want to give people too high of expectations, but I, I love it a lot. Um, so, you know, Chrono Trigger, though, is a game that I have played multiple times. I've actually only beaten it once, so I can't really say I've beaten it a lot of times, but I got to the end about four times. I've beaten it once, and I, I just love it. I love all the characters. The music's amazing. 
The artwork's incredible. Wrong. Um, wrong, wrong. Uh, it's just... I there's just something special. Like it's a magical game that even though I love Chrono Cross, it was never able to recapture that same magic in my opinion. How many games are in the Chrono series? Is there just two? Two. Just Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Chrono Um, Chrono Cross Chrono Trigger was a was a game was a collaboration between Akira Toriyama, Hironobu Sakaguchi. No, and then um, Mitsuno, right? Mitsuno, you when he got sick, Uematsu stepped in and made a couple tracks for the game so it has that guy as well but it's like a dream team you know and yeah. then yeah. i don't think sakaguchi has anything to do with chrono cross yeah i think matsuno still made the music and the music for chrono cross is oh in, yeah is incredible that might be the best part of that game uh, i do love chrono cross there's but the- a lot about chrono cross the problem with chrono cross the, the one of its biggest strengths and weaknesses is that there's a hundred plus characters that you can get yeah imagine trying to become attached and have fleshed out stories to 100 plus characters you can't do it so yeah. they kind of bit off more than they can chew with that that no i think that... it was a choice i think it was a conscious choice okay. yeah but you just you can't have the same quality with that much quantity yeah, yeah you they do have a lot of memorable characters but yeah i would say out of that game i remember a good 10 of those characters really 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 well um but i I just didn't like the battle system, to be honest, for Chrono Cross. No, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought the color system was. Is it turn based or is it's it, turn based? Okay. But it's it's a special. It's like colors, and you and don't. Brian's colorblind. You so. don't level uh, up, that, right? That explains it. You yeah. get those glasses now. I'm colorblind. Okay, Color. <laughs> uh, Josh. You can't see collars on dogs. It's very frustrating because he never knows where to put the leash. <laughs> Josh, what's Attach your favorite RPG and um, why? So the first RPG I ever played was Final Fantasy VII. Wrong. And then that's not my favorite. And <laughs> I like it, how it's it took wrong. Me, the first RPG he I, played. I had to play. I, I played maybe six or seven before I finally got into one. And the one that I did get into was Legend of Lagaya. Oh, that's I never played that game. It's, was that pretty good? It is pretty good. So I think that's probably my favorite RPG. Legend of Lagaya. Legend of Lagaya. I know it's it's wrong, a but, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an old school game, but that was like the first time I like I I got the demo with PlayStation Magazine and I yeah. played it over and over and finally I convinced my mom to buy me the the regular game. Did you ever play the demo for Legend of Dragoon? No. Okay, I played that demo a lot of times. I never actually got into the main game. Did Donna? Did you ever play that game? No. I wanted to. I yeah, just I was wanted to as well. What, what was it on PlayStation? Yeah, it was one. PlayStation One. PlayStation, okay. It had like really at the time crazy graphics. It was like, whoa, Sony made a game with graphics this Look good. Look at all these pixels, man. It was the Uncharted of its time. Of course, but if I you're just... expecting dragoons like Final Fantasy, you will be sorely disappointed. <laughs> yeah, they're like half oh, dragon man. people. I think that also ride on dragons. Okay, Donna, you're our RPG man here. What is your favorite RPG and why? I believe that choosing favorites is a bullshit way wrong. to support capitalism. <laughs> um, which I do. That is wrong. <laughs> so I think categorizing things into favorites is just a way to force you into spending more money in certain places. So well, I love. I don't spending believe money. in lists. <laughs> is, is this? This my, my gamer. Mygamer.butts, <laughs> my his favorite website. That's um, actually thegamer.com. Thegamer.butts. The um, ten no, ten if, reasons why you can't have a favorite RPG. If you, okay. Even no, if, so I, I think it's important to distinct, distinguish that favorite is different than best. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's all opinion. So my favorite RPG is Final Fantasy IV because I've been playing it since I was four. Rented it all the, every weekend from the video store, that and Secret of Mana. And then I even, when I was a little older, I actually bought my rental copy that I've, so I, I own physically 
the rental copy that I played as a child. Is it from Blockbuster? Oh, that's from cool. Videotron. Videotron. All Where right. is a Videotron in California? <laughs> uh, now or in 1993? 1993. 1993. <laughs> it was by Stater Brothers by Chinese fast food. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I miss the old video stores that are now defunct. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, since you are. So, yeah. Tell us why. Yeah. It, Beyond that. I mean, it's, it's, it's highly nostalgia. I think it is. It's the first. Well, you know, I actually think that Final Fantasy 2 has a pretty deep story for being a regular Nintendo game. Um, and two meaning four. No, two meaning two. Oh, okay. But I was going to say, is that the one that was on the SNES Classic? SNES was, no. is four, but it was called two back in the day. Yeah, confusingly so. Why? They So they skipped the release of two and three in the U.S. They were Nintendo. So when they released four in the U.S., they hadn't released a two and three, so they called it two. So do we have two that we haven't gotten to play? No, we no, got no, to they're play. they're all here now. Okay. They, came they, out, came out first they came out, first two came out on... Uh, PlayStation One as a in a package with one called Final Fantasy Origins with upred with uh, 16-bit graphics instead okay. of 8-bit. I bought that. I and then, um, then Final Fantasy Two came out again on Game Boy uh, Advance called uh, Final Fantasy um, Origins or something like that. Yeah, it was Origins um, was one and two. Yeah, and then. Um, so they did that. It's the same when they did Final Fantasy V was on PlayStation with Final Fantasy Anthology 5 and 6. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 5 hadn't been released in the U.S. That's why 6 was called 3 when it came out. Does it, and 6 or 4, it comes with Chrono Trigger? Or is it which one? Well, so Final Fantasy Chronicles was a PlayStation release that did re-release 4 with Chrono Trigger. Okay. Yes, on the PlayStation. It's so weird but, that they didn't do 3 at that time, that well, they waited all the way till the Nintendo DS. Yes, that is weird. I mean, 3 is the first Final Fantasy to introduce the drop system, as we talked about earlier. But anyway... Four has a really epic story, has really cool characters, has an amazing soundtrack. Um, and I just, it was, I was always so inspired by it when I was a kid. I loved exploring it. I could never beat it because it was just beyond me. But it was eventually the first RPG I beat. Um, I played every year, so I obviously hate it. Um, Hates it. You heard it <laughs> first. Clearly. But I, I, at the same time, I do have a hard time with favorites because. I mean, it's there's so many RPGs and there's so many different styles of RPGs, Western RPGs and Japanese RPGs. But even with those two broad categories, I mean, you know, like Skyrim is nothing like Baldur's Gate. So it's oh, like, sure. yeah. yeah, it's it's hard to say favorite. The only reason why we I even wanted a favorite is because if we just asked like RPGs you like, people might give us a list of like even Twenty Seven Rabbits gave us three games. And if he would have gone into why he liked three. That still would have taken a lot of time just Guys, go over. Just for nostalgia's sake, I gotta ask, what's your favorite Tales game? Uh, the only Vesperia. good one is Tales of Destiny. So, <laughs> yeah, Tales of Destiny, Tales of Shilia, Tales of Shilia Two, Tales. Well, of I wanna I wanna actually emphasize that Tales of Destiny is actually a pretty good game. Um, what's Vesperia is the Xbox 360 one though, right? Oh yeah, that one's, that one's kind of cool. Yeah, no, Tales cool. of Destiny is the PlayStation one. Oh the yeah, one the original, is, the one that's basically right. a Star Ocean game. So yeah. on PlayStation 1? Yeah. Okay. And Actually, our favorite yeah. one is Tales of Brasiria, as <laughs> everyone knows. Brasteria. Brasteria. On the podcast, we've talked about how much we love that. Actually, I heard in that game, the female protagonist, she's not she's not amnesiac, but her boobs are. Oh. <laughs> that makes a lot more <laughs> sense. Yeah. yeah. Her mammary glands are gone. Oh. <laughs> but oh. Um, no, that's, that was fun. Uh, Donna, let us know what we're going to be talking about next week. You had a cool idea that yeah. I want to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about gaming habits and rituals. So, for example, I play Final Fantasy IV every single year. So that's like a that's like a thing a tradition I do. But you know, you you could your habit could be that you before you play Call of Duty, you have to scratch your balls for five minutes. I mean, I do that you know. all the time. And then I play Call of Duty, which is a bad gaming habit. It's called. Yeah. <laughs> 
I uh, my are, are there shorts in between your ball scratching, or do you just go straight from there to the controller? Always just to the controller, man. I keep myself clean. You know what I mean. <laughs> Very clean boy here. Um, no, that was that was awesome. It was good to have Dono back, and we will probably bring uh, the bank stank back next week to give us those sweet stocks that you guys all love. There's one thing we know I about gamers you today, so I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, <laughs> you give us all the stocks. You're like, here's all the stock news. Um, but yeah, we're gonna talk about gaming habits. And if you want emails, email us at superbscast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter and, and uh, Facebook. And no, that doesn't exist. There's no we're such thing as Facebook. a Facebook. We okay, are on whatever. Facebook. It's either Super BS Gamescast or Super BS Cast on each one. But our email is superbscast at gmail.com, and we will talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace. Oh, yeah. On this week's program, the winners and losers of this year's summer box office. We'll get you up to speed on the latest comic book news and just how good is Deus Ex Human Revolution. All that and more on this episode as we delve into... The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And welcome to the show. We appreciate you listening out there. I tell you what, we are so happy to be here. I'm so excited. My name is Gerald Glassford, and I'm here with my good friend, the author of Vendetta Dark, and the upcoming novel with, well, what can I say, the best title in the universe. Congratulations, you suck. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? Hey, hey I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's the initial, initial, initial show for Pop Culture Cosmos. My background, I've been uh, responsible for running GameSource and YourGameSource.com for the past seven years. We are working with a collaborative effort from many different outlets, so uh, we are Really, really appreciate everyone for for you know coming in on this, and and we thank most of all you, the audience, for listening out there. A big, big shout out goes to John Sweeney Jr. for allowing us to be a part of the podcast radio network schedule, and we hope to make it a worthwhile venture for them as well as a worthwhile venture for you, the audience out there as well. Um, over the course of the show, I'm going to be getting giving some love to some people out there. So we, we truly appreciate you uh, checking all their sites and all their all their their interests out there. So we truly appreciate you giving a hand on that. All right, and here we go. Summer's almost over. Actually, it it is over. Oscar race and all that stuff, and the winter, you know, the winter break and and Thanksgiving break movies are all going to come upon us very quickly. But we have to go back and look at. The winners and losers for the summer box office of 2016. And who better to do that with me than my good friend Josh? What sticks out in your mind as far as, well, let's say the big hits for this summer of 2016? I would say Captain America, Civil War, definitely. I like Suicide Squad. I know that's a controversial subject when it comes to box office earnings, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, it, dep- it depends how you look at it with Suicide Squad. Let's first off say that they cannot, the movie is not going to be played in China, which is the, you know, by now has grown into the second largest market and at some point in time will become the largest market 
for movie audiences. So there you go. There's probably about $150, $200 million that maybe Suicide Squad couldn't make. As of right now, it's right around $640 million worldwide. Yes, it did drop 70% here domestically in its second week, uh, well, its second weekend outing, but it's remained in the top two, well, for several weekends now, and it's performed quite admirably in my my personal estimation, besides the fact that the, you know, the reviews were all over the place, you absolutely love the movie. And, and, you know, as far as it's concerned, do you see a future for Suicide Squad in the DC movie universe? I definitely do. That's because the, the Suicide Squad spans over their, their villains from several different comic books. So you have, you know, you have Harley Quinn and, and they're big characters too. So you have Joker, Harley Quinn, and Deadshot, especially Deadshot's been Batman, Arrow, to name a few. It's it's I, I see I see a future for him. I just um you know I think people need to people have their expectations set really high with comic book movies, but you know you have a an obscure comic book like Suicide Squad, and you just you know you got to give it a chance. Watch it for what it is. Oh well, Wonder Woman and the Justice League movies on the way. They're hopeful that that they can garner a better reaction from a larger audience uh, because, you know, Suicide Squad and Batman versus Superman both did not perform quite probably in Warner Brothers' estimation. What are some of the other winners that stuck out to you this summer season? Jason Bourne. I I liked Jason Bourne. It wasn't my favorite of the Bourne movies, but it had a lot going for it. And The Conjuring 2 was really good. It was, uh, yeah, compared to, it was, I mean, the first one was hard to top, but the, se- the second one was good. It had all the things that a horror movie needs to be without the, pe- you know, teenagers making stupid choices. Well, I'll tell you right now that uh, Jason Bourne, uh, I've reviewed it recently for the NU Herald, NUHerald.com. It has garnered well over $300 million worldwide, actually closing in on 350, probably past 350 by the time we took, you know, this comes on to air. So it's done and it's done well. It's performed admirably. It's I think number two of the Jason Bourne movies. Um, so there could be a future if Matt Damon wants to continue and Paul Greengrass wants to continue to direct. I know those two would not do a, a Bourne movie without each other. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, as far as The Conjuring 2, I mean, that leads into a bigger issue as far as those type of movies, those scary movies, those low-budget horror movies, which, uh, well, you know, Don't Breathe just came out, th- you know, recently, and that has uh, garnered number one uh, box office money as far as that's concerned. That was the last hit of the summer, Don't Breathe, and Conjuring 2, Purge Election Year. And there's there's quite a few more of these low-budget horror flicks that actually do make studios quite a bit of profit margin, even if they don't do it as far as a worldwide gross per se. Your thoughts on actually why they connect so well with audiences, at least in the first couple of weeks for each of these films. People, people really like to be scared. People love being scared. And I personally, I don't know about you, but I like going on Netflix and I like watching terrible horror movies. If, if, if that weren't, if people didn't like to be scared and people didn't like cheesy horror movies, then, you know, movies like Sharknado wouldn't have done as well as it did. So I, I think... Well, that's the, a horror movie for an entirely different reason, my friend. 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, you watch there's there's a lot of like really cheesy horror movies like Zombievers and you know, that's just one of the ridiculous titles on Netflix, but pe- people always like there's something about being scared, the novelty of being scared, and if you're not scared, it still gives you something to make fun of. So that I think that's why horror movies do so well with audiences. I also want to touch on one more big win situation and that is the Disney the Disney, well, juggernaut. I mean, they had four films, four films that topped nine hundred million dollars so far this year, and three of them were during the the summer movie season. Your thoughts on how Disney does so well? Well, they're four out of seven, I should say. Four out of seven films uh, so far this year have have hit big for them. What do you think is in their secret sauce? How do you think it works so well for them? And and what do you think they have on the queue next that might hit big as well? Disney is very formulaic in their movie making. It not that's not to say that the movies aren't good. That you know who doesn't love a good formula? But Disney, they know what audiences want. They've made you know they've made mistakes. John John Carter was quote unquote a mistake, but you know they know what audiences want. They they have great writers, great directors, and they. They give audience they, they give audiences what they want. They pay attention that and that's why I think it was such a great thing that they acquired Lucasfilms and Marvel because now, you know, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like a juggernaut right now. So they Disney knows how to make movies. That's it's as simple as that. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, they really got their finger pressed on the button as far as it's concerned with a general audiences out there. They're they really know what to look forward to. But I think go, really goes into their marketing as far as they really do an outstanding job of, of marketing and pushing really a lot of their top films. Minus John Carter. My, well, John Carter, you know, comparatively speaking, John Carter's done better on a world, did better on a worldwide basis than uh, Pete's Dragon did this summer. And also as well, the BFG. And let's not forget Alice Through the Looking Glass. But you know what? I think any of those studios, as I indicated in my article on the NUHerald.com, indicated that they would, uh, sure, they would love at least four out of seven to be huge hits nearing $1 billion each and also be looking at Doctor Strange and Star Wars Rogue One later this year. I think that's uh, something still very tasty for them to to have to look forward to, is it not? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's, there's people love Star Wars. People love Marvel, so that's what we're just talking about. Yeah, Doctor Strange and Rogue One looks looks it looks gritty beyond any Star Wars movie I've ever seen. So I'm excited about that one. Now you're signed for all those movies, and and those a lot of those movies were big hits. So what are some of the disappointments this summer that you saw, and and what are some of the things that that maybe audience should take away next time summer season comes around? I think that first we should point out the big turd in the room, which is Ghostbusters. That's uh, I can't I can't disagree with you there because I did give that a negative for you on the NU Herald side as well. Well, they were really trying to break new ground with like an all female cast. That that was like that was the biggest thing that people were worried about when they announced a new Ghostbusters movie. And I think the the people in the movie were excellent. The the four main characters they chose, but. I think the script was bad. The writing was bad. They didn't really give us anything that we haven't seen before. What is it? Ghostbusters 2, when the ghosts were attacking New York, they pretty much, it was the same movie rehashed, and it relied really heavily on cameos and, uh, you know, callbacks to the the first two movies, which they kind of destroyed in this movie. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, as far as it's concerned, Ghostbusters was a disappointment, something that they wanted to go ahead, Sony, I should say, wanted to go ahead and make a big franchise. But unfortunately, it looks like it's not going to work out. And it probably has to will lay dormant until it gets rebooted sometime again down the road. Uh, Star Trek Beyond, I gave it a positive review. Did not like it on a personal level as much as some of the the, the previous two rebooted series. But I, I tell you what, they haven't played in China yet, but still the movie is probably not going to meet financial expectations. Uh, your thoughts on Star Trek Beyond and why it didn't connect with audiences? Because well, it's Star Trek's 50th year anniversary. If any movie should have been able to, to break out of uh, something there and become a bigger hit than it was, it should have been that movie. Well, it's kind of like the TV show. It, it's Star Trek has always been really popular, but it what does, didn't have like the wow factor that it did with the first Star Trek series with William Shatner. It kind of, you know, a little bit less each time of like people being amazed by it. So I think with the reboot, people like the idea of J.J. Abrams and a, an origin story. So they, you know, if they hadn't seen Star Star Trek before, they could jump on. And then people, and that was an excellent movie. I absolutely loved it. And then the second one came out and people were like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give this one a, a, a try. But I think that with a third movie, I don't think that it's the fact that it's performed badly in the box office. I think people are waiting for it to come out on DVD. So they can watch it through uh, Redbox or Voodoo On Demand, whatever they use to watch movies. I think it was an actual situation where it got caught up in July in a heavy month. And I think they released it at the wrong time. Because there were several movies, it came just before Born, uh, and it came right after, uh, you know, obviously the July Fourth, July First movie, you know, right around the beginning of the month movies as well, and back to back to back movies were hit movies were, quote unquote, were coming out each and every week. Um, I think it was just too much for audiences to bear, and I think it showed uh, when it comes to them making choices as a whole. And Star Trek Beyond, I think, suffered from that. No matter how good they thought, you know, critics thought the movies was. Um, I think it suffered from being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And one more thing we want to talk about as far as the losers are concerned, got to also talk about video game movies. Um, whereas Angry Birds movie, that did actually exceeded expectations for Sony, and they've already announced production on a, a second movie, hopefully in the future. Unfortunately, the Warcraft movie did miserable here in the United States, but did gangbusters in China. Your thoughts on the Warcraft movie, which I personally did not like, but also as well, does it have a future and could it only be in China? See, that's interesting because I, I was actually just reading an article about that. They, Yeah, the I think it just it, – Warcraft is a, it's a huge universe. I think that people didn't really – they were trying to take, what, like three or four games worth of mythology and packing it into one movie and audiences didn't really – Get that, of course. Like the you know the people who are diehard Warcraft fans loved it, but I think they 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 aimed too big. They needed to tell more of a. They need to simplify it for audiences. It's like that uh, movie filmmakers that use that that uh, acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. So it's you know you got to assume that the audiences don't know as much as you do. But personally, like I, the movie wasn't bad. It, it wasn't something that I'd you know, came out of the theater really stoked on, but it wasn't, wasn't an awful movie to me. And the fact that it performed well in China, it kind of, it, it would be weird to have a, an American made movie come out just in China and not in America. So that would be, that would be the first I've ever seen of something like that. But it, you know, I, 
if people if that's the way you know if that's the way people are looking for movies these days that's just what has to happen when we come back we're going to talk video games and what josh thinks about deus ex right after this word this is gerald with game source letting you know what are the big video games coming out this week get your mech all geared up for battle in the sci-fi game beyond flesh and blood coming to the ps4 and xbox one just sing from ubisoft will have you singing the high note when it comes to playstation 4 and the xbox one and get ready because it's time to have awesome knots assemble when this updated release hits the xbox one and playstation 4 for more, check us out yourgamesource.com and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter for all your latest gaming news. Okay, and we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford once again with my good friend Josh Peterson, the author of Vendetta Dark and the well and the upcoming Congratulations. You suck. You know, that's, that's just a killer name. I just love saying that. But anyways, uh, we also want to make sure that we thank our good friends at Retro City Games, uh, Douglas and Nicole, who will soon be housing our, our show on a regular regular basis at Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, one of the best game stores in the Las Vegas area. I think you should check them out. Rob McCallum and Rob McCallum Films, uh, makers of the hit documentary Nintendo Quest and the Nintendo Quest Power Tour, which you can find out more info today at robmccallumfilms.com on how to buy a DVD, buy a Blu-ray, or buy it today on digital. Uh, also find out more information on his award-winning documentary, Missing Mom, and also as well find out more information on his upcoming hit documentaries, The Power of Grayskull, He-Man, and The Masters of the Universe, A Definitive History. And Fox Art, the documentary, which Rob, Doug, and Nicole have an update for us right now take it away rob rob mccallum here for box art joined alongside doug and nicole from retro city games of course producing box art with me we've been on the road now for what is it five days guys six six days almost six days here and uh we well how's the trip gone so far how would you describe (laughs) that first day Awesome. And in what capacity was that awesome? Every. And what does that mean? Maybe let our listeners know what you mean by every awesome capacity. First day, 20 straight hours of driving. That was great. And how many were you awake for? Uh, Two. Two. Four. (laughs) Are we talking consecutive hours? It's a very nice, very long nap. (laughs) Uh Doug, how would you describe that 19-hour drive from Las Vegas to Seattle where we've done the bulk of our shooting? Oh man! Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've kind of like blocked it out a little bit, uh-huh. and uh, that's kind of how we were driving, just zoned out. Like the proverbial drool was like pouring down our mouths. It was just mind numbing. Yeah, it was uh, a full-on severe science experiment. Eyes peeled back to keep them open. And, so, uh... so Rob, more importantly, uh, I don't really care how you felt about the whole drive. But how about that last two hours? Yeah, no, I was on I was on jitter alert <laughs> with my street luge passenger chair that doesn't quite uh, support any neck activity at all. <laughs> Everybody listening, if you can imagine being in the passenger side of, of a van chair and it being on a forty five degree angle with no support for your neck, and yeah, you're just head, 
You're the hoping. Head, it's basically the, a coffin coffin sled. Yeah, you pull the headrest forward, and the second any pressure is applied, it just slides on back. He just slides on back. <laughs> uh, so, like, like a luge. <laughs> for everybody that don't know, uh, of course, Box Art is our docu-series that we're all producing that uh, looks at the the uh, industry of video game cover art and the illustrators responsible for it, mainly because people don't know who these people are, and as well as the industry as a whole in, in the evolution of what cover art is, where it's going, and uh, even the emergence of concept art as maybe a new form of co- cover art. Uh, we've done three key interviews so far. We have another one tomorrow that takes me to Vancouver, don't you know, buddy? <laughs> and uh, we uh, have a big panel at PAX on the weekend, which is very exciting. You guys uh, were part of the first round uh, that we shot at E3 as well, and now you've got three more interviews that you've kind of uh, you know seen in, in the flesh. What have you guys learned, or what, or what some of your experiences are? We can we can go back to E3 if you like. We can just tackle this week. What do you think? Um, for me, it's not having expectations. There's certain people you know that we interviewed that I expected to say certain things, or I expected the interview to go in a certain direction, and it just absolutely didn't. Um, what do you mean by that? Because now I'm curious. <laughs> well, right I, now you're taking I, this in a different direction I, that I don't expect. <laughs> um, I don't really want to... I, I can't give away details, but... You we'll know, give away a detail. Give us some context. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or are you just making this up on the spot? <laughs> okay, um, I, I was expecting... Okay, when we uh, when we talked to uh, Trip. Okay, Trip Hawkins, uh, at, at founder of EA. Uh, first interview we did, we started off big. Um, Doesn't I, get much bigger than Trip. I was expecting him to have a little more hands-off, you know, approach to the box art, where it was almost his team doing it, especially because of the way EA is now. Sure. Um, and what they've become. Uh, which isn't a bad thing, it's just I didn't expect him to really have all the little little intricacies of where the, the box art came from. And some of the things he said, like, uh, just drawing conclusions that were was always speculation, you know, like... The, the original box design for his stuff did come from, for PC, you know, the gatefold came from album design. Right, so to video me, that, game is taking inspiration from another medium. Yeah, and to me that was a bombshell, because everybody always kind of assumed it. But him saying, no, we approached, you know, the same companies that were doing the packaging for records at the time and said, hey, how can we do this? And they came back and said, oh yeah, we can do the same thing, only cheaper. And then it, it, it evolved into the what we knew as PC packaging back in the day. Sure. Nicole, what... It, out of all the interviews that you remember, what is like one of the moments that stands out to you that was either like a complete game changer, pun intended, or just something like that's really cool that uh, we got to hear that? It was probably today with Brom. So we filmed with uh, Gerald Brom. Brom, of course, is what he goes by for his professional name. Huge I think artist. He Gerald. No, definitely <laughs> Brom. Definitely. Huge, huge artist. Uh, responsible for stuff like Doom 2, Diablo 2, Heretic. Uh, the list goes on and on. TSR, of course, for you know almost half a decade. Magic: The Gathering. What what moment stands out from that interview? Uh, just the fact that like he took on the Doom Two cover art because he was a fan. That was just like awesome. Yeah, yeah. He flat out was... didn't want to take on a project, and when they said when they said, "Oh, it's Doom 2, he was like, "Ah, okay." <laughs> like that was that was great. That was awesome. You can see even today, you could see how tired he was thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, just already having that workload and him just thinking back going, oh, I really didn't want to do it, but you can't pass up Doom. Yeah, like, so <laughs> to, to give some context for everybody, this was when he went freelance after a nice comfy gig with TSR for a few years. 
And then uh, as a freelancer, you, it's hard to say no to anything but just seven days a week. You know, you have a wife, so you're trying to make time for family and the things to keep you sane. And then this opportunity comes along, and he still could not say no to that. So, uh, very cool. I think for me, uh, one of my key moments was talking with Tim Gervin, uh, which heads up a design agency in Seattle, and just hearing him illustrate the way in which he was working with Nintendo to provide them a cohesive brand identity. And I guess the big thing that you could say that Tim did, for the NES era at least, was he was the one that instituted that red stripe across the box of, uh, of the later run of the NES title. So for any collector out there or any, 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 any NES fan, <laughs> uh, you'll know at the top it'll say Nintendo Entertainment System in a red stripe. And that was for a very obvious reason. He noticed that when you went into a game store uh, in that time, you couldn't tell Nintendo stuff from Sega stuff. So he thought, why not put like make sure every game, regardless of publisher and developer, had that on the top. So you look at something like uh, Warrior Woods, and it's right on the top. Well, even in the packaging of the systems in, in later release, the yeah. original ones didn't. And then there was cohesion e- across the board. Even, even that aesthetic, the, that um, that that blockiness and the, the stripe feel carried well into the Super Nintendo era. I mean, and let's not forget when we're dis- talking about a, a major thing for box art, and people will be able to hear this from the horse's mouth in, in the docu series. He was the one that instituted the portrait to landscape shift from the NES titles, which were in portrait, to landscape, which is what the SNES became. Again, to differentiate. Like he said, you know, you you have to design a fixture around the packaging. Yeah. And he said it's going to set us apart from everybody else. And it really did. I mean, that, that horizontal view. And it really pulls you from left to right. Instead of looking straight up a column, you have to look at everything. Yeah, and it's different. And I know we've got some uh, artists on board that were caught in the middle of that transition where it wasn't communicated to them that things had changed from portrait to landscape. And uh, when we interview them, I'm sure they'll discuss, you know, how they handled the the switch, whether they repainted or just, you know, uh, cropped in, so to speak. Again, without giving away too much. I feel like you're giving away too much. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, No, um, you you even see the the way um, some of the original paintings were cropped. Yeah. The way some of that artwork was really had to be cut down to fit, because you could tell either the artist didn't know which way they were going to go with it, and some of the artists said that. Yep. But also, it's it's you don't know how they're going to use it. Right. You know, it could have been before that shift was made, and now oh, the packaging's different, but we're not going to throw away the art. This whole thing's designed around that art, so it has to go, and it's just it's recropped and repositioned. Even um the the placement of the logos changed everything, and what it covers up, what it doesn't, and. Kind of that askew where there's more background in the picture than in the, right. the, uh, the art than not. But yeah. And tomorrow uh, I head to Canada, as I mentioned. We're, we're filming actually with another one of our producers uh, who happens to have a pretty unique collection of original canvases. And I have no idea what I'm going to see when I meet with Dan tomorrow. I don't know what he's pulled from his collection. I don't know how many pieces. I'm curious to know how we got into that. This does not sound like a, a cheap hobby to get into it. It seems like a very niche collectible this, arena. This I will not spoil, but just the few that we've seen, yeah, you know, via you know, text and you know, messaging, messaging back and, and stuff forth like and that, email. is quite impressive. <laughs> it's it's very cool to see these box covers that we know and love, but in a larger than life way. And we talked with Brom today. About the difference between seeing something digitally on a screen and seeing it in person. And you guys are staying behind because you got some stuff to take care of for the production. But I'm going ahead forward to Canada. So I get to see some of those acrylics and oils in person. 
Nicole, what, what do you think it's going to be like as I walk in there and, and see that stuff? What, what are you predicting for this footage? Because I know when I get back, you guys are going to be like, so show me the stuff. I think it's going to be, like, almost emotional. Because, I mean, it's like memories, but, like, you're seeing the what created those memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but, uh, it's, so it's, jealous. It's, it's, you know, the, the images are already so powerful, I think. And, you know, for a lot of your favorite games, and whether it's good or bad art, it's still emotional. It's art, too. it's still... Yeah, I mean, yeah. the game can be amazing and the art can be terrible. We all know Mega Man. But <laughs> I love the Mega Man art. I will go on record saying, it, sure, it is not reflective. It doesn't have a painterly renaissance quality to it. But that Mega Man 1 art, and Mega Man 2 for that matter, I think are gorgeous for all the defective reasons that people it's, want to lobby. It's quality art. It just it's It's horrible in relationship to the game itself. I think it's beautiful. I would hang that anywhere, <laughs> but I think you seeing, wouldn't hang you wouldn't hang that canvas up if you had it. I'm not saying I wouldn't. Have yeah, it. that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but what I what I was getting at is there's a difference between looking at you know the the image on the box and seeing the original painting. Sure. That I mean, not that that's one that we'd see, but that, it's just an example of you know you see the emotion in the rock strokes and in the the texture on the canvas. There's just something more tangible to it because it really is tangible. I mean. <laughs> There's something special to that. So, Nicole, as we wrap up here, what do you think people can expect when uh, the series comes out, the six episodes that will make up season one? How would you describe, based on the interviews that we have and knowing what's coming, uh, in, the, in the car you started to really kind of eloquently put what you've noticed come out of some of this. Do you remember what you were saying? Uh, I think, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I don't remember. Uh, no. You were talking about the flow, but well, now yeah, that you've I seen a few really people. Interesting. It's really interesting to see, like, as a fan from, like, start to finish, like, how this stuff, like, became, how it became, like, how it, like, started and how, you know, different artists who had different roles really formed the structure for box art i mean it's so interesting and and that, and, that collaboration with the behind the scenes people and that, that yeah evolution. i mean it's interesting that there was so many people involved in one part of the, the game as a whole it's it's incredible doug what would you say or, or foreshadow or tease out there that people can expect in this series based on the uh, the handful of the handful of material that we've been able to capture so far the biggest wow moments for me and I think will be for the viewers as well when the series is done, is the all the speculation put to rest. There's so many things that were either completely unknown because no one had ever asked the question to the right person, and there's so many things that everybody had just assumed that I'll tell you a lot of those things were right, and there's a few of them that were dead-ass wrong, just sure. completely wrong. And to me, some of those were, it's subtle things, but it changes the whole way you view the process. It, for better or for worse, which I, yeah, just, I think that the technical and the, the actual procedure behind everything threw me off a little bit. No predictions or, or teases for me uh, as the writer-director of the series. I think it's going to be nice for people to actually get to know some of the people that we sit down and interview. So it just won't be a series of sound bites. You'll get to spend uh, half an episode or sometimes maybe a whole episode with some of these participants as they uh, share their story and the, the behind-the-scenes look. Behind the canvas, if you will, <laughs> as we as we rip through the different eras of uh, video game box art and cover illustrators. Yeah, <laughs> get ready to go to Canada and rip up there tomorrow. 
Gotta get the persona started. Yep, gotta get her going and get some Timmies in me. Yeah. So, uh, so for myself, Rob McCallum, and uh, Douglas. Douglas Hoewu. And Nicole. Nicole. You guys are just supposed to say goodbye and cheers. Bye. Oh. <laughs> cheers. Oh, cheers, even That's though I'm not Canadian. going to Canada. That's yeah. okay. And for myself, we'll catch you guys next time. Back to you, Gerald. Well, we're back and we're talking video games in this segment. And along with, with Josh Peterson, I'm Gerald Glassford once again. Want to thank you for joining us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, right here on the Podcast Radio Network. If you like what you hear, follow us on Facebook and also as well on Twitter, Pop Culture Cosmos. Josh, you got a chance to play Deus Ex Human Revolution. What are your thoughts on this well-accepted game? I think that it is fantastic. Just from what I've played so far, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably only a few hours into it, but it's, it took what was awesome about the ori- the, the, the last Deus Ex they made, and they've just put it on a massive scale that they, they kind of took like a Deus Ex and mixed it into something like Call of Duty, and because of that, it's it's awesome because they're literally there's so many the game can be played so many different ways you can do stealth you can do you know just go right in there or you can be tactical so there's there's a lot of options there and the the story itself it's not just the way the game is played but the story itself is you know it's it's more of a like a commentary on modern society and it's something that i think is was very well thought out also as well i wanted to make sure that everybody as well out there knows on pop culture cosmos we also got a chance to look at the Battlefield 1 beta recently, and I'm telling you, it was very interesting, that, you know, the dynamic of playing in the World War One scenario, which is quite different from many of the FPSs that have been played before. It's a, a different way of doing things for, for DICE and also the Battlefield series. It's a, it's a good concept. I enjoyed my time in it. Um, your thoughts on Battlefield 1, and do you think it can finally match as far as, not say on a quality basis, but match as far as in fan interest with, you know who I'm talking about, the Call of Duty series. I'm not a huge fan of Call of Duty. Uh, it just kind of got old with me. But Battlefield, uh, and this is the same thing with Battlefield. Like, they're, the games are all kind of the same. But then they, they, they kind of introduce something new by introducing an old concept. And that's what's so intriguing to me. It's just, it's too bad that the beta, the opening hours of the beta had such trouble for players, but it's, I think that they found, they found something. It looks good. It plays well, plays smooth. I don't know how much of it you've gotten to play, but it's, it's a pretty fantastic experience as far as, uh, you know, that type of game goes. I want to echo those comments on how smooth it runs, especially if you're on foot. Um, If you're in vehicles, one has to remember since you're in World War One vehicles, the fixed vision, I know a lot of it, people are going to take issue as far as it's concerned that they won't be able to have that field of vision that they're normally used to in other first-person shooters. But that's the ideal of being in a World War One concept. So I commend DICE for, for their, I don't want to say realism, but their, their closeness to that type of environment that they created. Um, when you're playing on foot, you know, as far as when you're running on foot and as far as the shooting mechanics – seem to be top-notch, and I look forward to the game as well uh, when it comes out uh, very soon this fall. I think it's going to do big numbers. Is it going to do as well as Call of Duty? 
I don't know. People seem to be getting, you know, year after year, everybody seems to be calling for the demise of the Call of Duty franchise. Is this the year? I don't think so yet, but you never know. Uh, this turn, this dynamic turn as far as for Battlefield, I think it was a good strategic move, and it's a way to gain more interest in the product itself going forward. Can't see nothing but good things for Battlefield 1, and I look forward to, to playing more of it when it comes out later this fall. But I also want, when we're talking video games, not talk about the big albatross in the room that comes out every August, and that's Madden. Your thoughts, Josh, on Madden this year, and do you think you're, well, do you think the Madden hype is, is has been lost somewhat and the Madden series may be getting a little bit older in the tooth and, and fan interest may not be what it once was in such a storied and great franchise? I think the Madden kind of lost its excitement a long time ago. I feel like at this point they're just you know, doing what most of the sports franchises do, which is just beat a dead horse over and over again, except for FIFA, who has kind of come back from that. But they, they, well, I, that's what I want to tell you. When I was running game stores and whatnot, and and I was, you know, chastised by by uh, a, a manager, fellow manager, saying that that I only had 300 pre-orders at that time, uh, which was down considerably. Um, and they asked me why. I said, well, because we're getting more FIFA pre-orders at that time this was back in you know in the late 2007 8 range whatnot and and i i told them we are pushing fifa because that is the way to go more audiences are becoming more enamored with the the soccer pro you know the soccer concept here in america and that it would be actually being more well known because it is the world's most popular game so i thought eventually you would see that turn so it looks like fifa has now taken that edge away from Madden, and Madden, while it still has its numbers, they're not as large as they once were. Right, and, and also they're not really bringing anything new to the franchise, new players obviously, but a lot of people, a lot of people I know who play it still, they, you know, they don't ever buy Madden until it goes on sale during Black Friday or some other day, but they take their old games and they just update the rosters, so it's kind of you know how much money you want to spend on it. What what's what's exciting about it to you? What you know what bring what's bringing people to the to the franchise? And it's not really not a lot to offer there. I'm just telling you right now that Madden still has some life, but it's not quite the series it once was. Unfortunately, let's let's hope they get it back in gear. So following years, there can be some excitement about the Madden franchise and and see it at the levels it once was uh, for audiences because it can only benefit from that, not only from a player's perspective, but from electronic arts perspective as well. When we come back, we're talking comic books right here on Pop Culture Cosmos, right after the break. Hey everyone, if you are looking for the latest news in movies, TV, video games, sci-fi, comic books, pro wrestling, technology, esports, and more, Look no further than Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Each week we provide hundreds of stories across the internet, bringing you closer to the latest news and information in the pop culture world. Stop by, and while you're there, like us and follow us today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. 
Hey, it's Gerald with Pop Culture Cosmos, letting you know what's coming to theaters this week nationwide. First off, The Disappointments Room, starring Kate Beckinsale in this horror thriller that's rated R. Sully, starring Tom Hanks in this Clint Eastwood-directed drama that's rated PG-13. The thriller When the Brow Breaks, starring Morris Chestnut and Regina Hall, is rated PG-13. And finally, we have the animated feature The Wildlife that's rated PG. For all the latest news and information in the world of cinema, and so much more, check us out today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. And we're back. It's Gerald Glassford once again from Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm here with my good friend, Josh Peterson, the author of Vendetta Dark and the upcoming Congratulations, You Suck. And we're talking comic books in this segment. There's some news out there as far as from comic book land. Josh, I want to talk first about Spider-Man Homecoming. It delves a little bit in cinema, but it's also comic book related. As far as the the outstanding actress Zendaya has been what rumored to be playing the role of MJ, which has not settled well with certain audiences. What are your thoughts on that? And also as well, do you think people should as well get a, you know, just just appreciate the fact that, that um, Sony and Marvel are headed in a new direction, which could benefit them as far as the Spider-Man franchise is concerned? This is... I've, I've written a lot of stories on this. Like you've read them for both national university and my, you know, myself. And there, there's a lot of, I I've learned that I, it's, it's hard to really like, you can complain about this stuff all you want to, but it's not really going to do a lot of good. So at this point I've kind of just learned to sit back and like hope that I'm going to be pleasantly surprised by a lot of these casting choices. But at the same time, like if it goes bad, I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, I told you so, but it's a touchy issue for some people because a lot of people I've talked to about it there to them, Spider-Man is their childhood. So they see these characters like Mary Jane, they, she is the redhead next door, you know, and Liz Allen, she's the blonde, she's the blonde haired, uh, you know, firecracker from Peter's high school. Flash Thompson is the white, typical white male jock bully. So the, the casting choices for Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Tony Revolori is playing Flash Thompson. So he's he's Indian. And Lauren Harrier is playing Liz Allen, who is African-American. And then Zendaya is obviously African-American. So it's, 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 it's a bold move, and it's interesting. And this is what Marvel is aiming to do slowly. I, I, they're slowly injecting more diversity into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it's... We'll just have to wait and see. Um, I I don't think Zendaya is incapable of playing the part. So that's, to me, I'm just waiting to see. Hopefully they deliver, but they I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to paint a modern portrait of Queens, which is full of diversity. I know Stan Lee uh, has weighed in with his thoughts, and, and he's heard that Zendaya is a, a you know, a actress, that gifted actress that, and he f- has fully put his support behind it. And if Stan Lee likes it, come on, people, just lay off it. Let's just enjoy the film. Hopefully, that will come out next. Uh, you know, when it, it's a uh, next summer release, correct? Right, 2017. And just, yeah. you know, don't don't go in there wanting to hate it because you're going to come out hating it. So it's well. There's a reason why that the Spider-Man franchise as a whole is taking these bold steps and a new direction because 
they saw the declining values as far as concerned, the declining numbers of their previous Spider-Man films. So they needed to go in a new direction, correct? Correct. I, and, you know, I'm still a little bit sore about the loss of Amazing Spider-Man, but it's it's just that's what audiences want these day and days. And it's, you know, you'd be audiences are calling for something. You got to answer the call. So it's really that simple. It's not just a marketing ploy. It really is what people want to see. So the comic book purists out there, I'm telling you, just just give it a chance, man. If you're, if you're going into it with, you know, wanting it to fail, you're probably going to miss out on what could be a great movie. And if not, you know, at least you can say I told you so. So there's that. And there's that. Uh, once again, this is Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm Gerald Glassford, along with my good friend, Josh Peterson. Just want to give a shout out as well to our good friends, Sal, Larna, and the rest of the, the great crew at Mario Party Wars. If you get a chance, check them out, Mario Party Wars on Facebook, our site, yourgamesource.com, that both Josh and I have written for, theenuherald.com, that both Josh and I have, have written for, and I give a special birthday shout-out to my good friend, Jamie Monroy. Happy birthday, my friend. Many more to you. But let's get back into the comic book scene. An interesting thing happened as far as between Marvel and DC. Explain a little bit more to us, Josh, about Justice League Dark and Doug Lehman, who's best you know, known for directing one of the Bourne franchise movies. I am so excited about this. Justice League Dark is it's it's a fairly new comic book, but it uses old you know existing characters. It's they announced this week after this this thing has been in production hell for probably the past few years. It was originally uh, pitched by Guillermo del Toro, and it was it was it was it was going to be a dark movie because that's Guillermo del Toro's specialty and obviously the title, but it. It kind of he wrote a screenplay and then it just kind of sat around for a long time and I think they were because originally Guillermo wanted to use uh, Matt Ryan from the show to be in it and then like none of his plans fell through so it's kind of just been sitting there and then finally Doug Lehman showed up and DC's dusting it off and if there's anyone that can carry Guillermo del Toro's vision and maybe even make it better it's Doug Lehman because he you know he has director credits on Born Identity Jumper Edge of Tomorrow he produced the other three films in the Bourne franchise and many other things. So I think he is more than capable of making an excellent movie that well, you know, hopefully it doesn't suffer from suicide squad syndrome, but it's, it's exciting, <laughs> you know, but the roll call, I believe from uh, what I see is uh, obviously John Constantine. I kind of like personally Keanu Reeves in that role. Uh, I, I kind of like the movie as well, but that's just my preference. Uh, Madam Xanadu, Dead Man, Shade, The Changing Man, Zatanna, and Swamp Thing. Um, am I correct on that or no? Correct. Yeah, let's see. Uh, all the the whole gang's there. <laughs> Fair enough. And I I I had said it to you before um, before we got on the air, but I think that uh, Justice League Dark, with his direction, Doug Lehman's direction, could be a surprise hit and could be something that that they may latch onto. If the budgetary considerations are met and also as well something that, that is marketed properly could actually be a surprise hit for Warner Brothers and uh, could be something that the DC movie universe sorely needs as far as a positive film to look upon. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about shows that, that 
well, let's say that we were looking forward to upcoming in the fall TV season. This is Pop Culture Cosmos. Do you love games, breed games, and bleed games? Then this is the crew for you. If you are interested in editorial, podcasting, live events, and exclusive content, make sure to hit us up at info at yourgamesource.com and become part of a team that is dedicated to delivering all the greatest delays in gaming news and content, all here at yourgamesource.com. It started with a simple concept. One man... 30 days, buy all the Nintendo games without using the internet in any way. Boom. There's no cheat codes, there's no game genie, there's no extra lives. Some way, somehow, he'll succeed at what he wants to do with this. This journey is going to be incredible. I'm going to literally go across the country. There are precisely three things he's passionate about. Star Wars, rock and roll, and video games. And the big boss at the end of the game is the ticking clock. If he doesn't beat that, he loses a chance at a dream. I think the collecting of the games, I think will be the easier part for him. I'm gonna get to see all these amazing game stores, all these different types of people. Regardless of whether he gets all the games, it's just gonna be this massive game loving. It's just gonna be fun. And then we started asking ourselves why it was Nintendo. Why did we pick Nintendo over any other game company? Because I think that's the system everyone can relate to. Everyone loves the NES. For a period of time there, Nintendo was a word used to describe video games in general. Every game they came out with really had a level of success to one degree or another. And you didn't just play for three or four days. You played for weeks, sometimes months. Think about Mario and Zelda and only being limited to that space. So everything had to be so melodic. These are cool items that document historical information. If someone were to show me a library of NES games in a file on their computer, I'm not impressed. If someone were to show me the artifacts, that's what matters. Anyone can take a picture. Again, I'll say it, man. Life is too short to be doing something that you don't want to do every day. The NES is the system responsible for the industry for what it is today. That's the system everyone can relate to. Everyone loves the NES. Why don't you show me some of the games you have the world record on? Well, I have it on Zexon, Yars Revenge, Star Master, Star Voyager, Skiing. I guess games on every one of these roads. Cubert, Pitfall, Laser Blast, Kangaroo, E.T., Chopper Command. That and of course the favorite, <laughs> Dragster up in the corner. And we're back, Pop Culture Cosmos. Uh, just want to give a big shout out again to John Sweeney Jr. for allowing us to be a part of the Podcast Radio Network. Give the Podcast Radio Network app a try and hear all their great shows that they have to offer. We're part of a great schedule. And if you get a chance, check it out, the Podcast Radio Network. Once again, this is Pop Culture Cosmos, a collaboration of efforts between Rob McCallum Films, Mario Party Wars, Retro City Games, Game Source, and of course, Pop Culture Cosmos. If you have any questions, just give us a shout out, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Final segment here for you, we're going to talk a little TV. You've been watching a little TV now and then, Mr. Josh, so I ask you, what are some of the shows that you're looking forward to this fall season? 
Yeah, right now, just the Flash, Arrow, Legend of Tomorrow, Supergirl. Like, I'm, I'm really that's my my fall TV viewing is mostly made up of comic book shows at the moment. But you know, the the new uh, the Justice Society is supposed to be on Legends of Tomorrow. You have uh, the Flash and his new uh, Flash, the Flashpoint. So it's there's a lot going on. What about you? I do want to know a little bit more about what's going to go on with The Walking Dead. I understand that, uh, you know, everybody's curious about who did Negan kill. Uh, There's many theories out there. I do want to see how it plays out and how Negan takes control, you know, what Rick once had as far as it's concerned, and and see where that goes from there. To me, it's a totally new dynamic. Obviously, it mirrors in many ways what the comic books do. So, yes, I'm, I'm curious to see how that is, but I'm also curious to see about their viewership because as one of the top-rated shows each year on television, uh, their share, their market share, has gone down slightly over the years, and I'm interested to see if people still have interest in how that show is going to translate. You know, another of the fall TV shows that I want to look at, I personally want to see how The Blacklist that show, how it continues to do well on NBC. It was once come in with like gangbusters as far as how well it did. It's it's what third season now. I think uh, you know it does not have all the shine and glamour that it once did. So we'll see how well it's going to do. And then also as well, you got to look at at one of the shows that a lot of people still talk about to this day, uh, Empire, and see how well that show hangs on. Because for me, uh, the interesting thing I like to look at is how well a show continues to perform both on a dramatic basis but also on an audience basis. Does it do, do what it takes to, to win and retain those audience? And it's always interest to see, interesting to see that, that side of it. Uh, any other TV programs that you're looking forward to? I know on Netflix they've got a ton of shows. And the new Star Trek show for me, Star Trek Discovery, is something I definitely want to look forward to, especially since they elaborated more on on what the whole uh, Discovery universe is going to be all about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Star Trek. I, I Personally, I never got into the old Star Trek shows, but uh, I'm willing to give this one a try. And let's Are, are you a fan of American Horror Story? Uh, I've seen a couple years, couple series, uh, seasons of it. Um, I don't catch it every time, um, but I do know that there are some fine performances um, as far as it's concerned uh, from when I have seen it. it. To me, it depends on sorry. When they went to the circus, I, I thought that was just, you know, the best season ever from them. Yeah, right. And they're, they've been throwing a lot of curveballs as to what this next season is going to be about, but they finally announced that it's going to be called American Horror Story, The Mist, and it showed the the real trailer that shows what the show's about is uh, has someone walking on a railroad track with mist everywhere. So I imagine it might maybe has something to do with a you know Stephen King novel, but it's it's one of those shows that like you you watch it and it's they're constantly like surprising you. Just when you're like, no, no, they're not going to do that. They they do it, and it's both sometimes disgusting, but it's it's always keeps you on the edge of your seat. It's like when you watch that movie, uh, There Will Be Blood, you don't really know what it is, but you just you can't stop watching it. That's how I feel about American Horror Story. And one last thing. If there is one show that people are that you think might need to go out of the way to look forward to or one surprise of the TV season, what do you think that will be? Because I've got one in mind, 
But that's just me right now. I want to hear your thoughts on what surprise show could be a hit with audiences this season. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question here. I think twenty four. No, that's not a that's a mid season show. Uh that's tough. Well, I'm Is gonna that... tell you. I'm gonna tell you mine. I'll give you a second to think about it. Timeless as you know, a show upcoming to NBC. Um, it's going to play out on Monday, starting you know in October. I think it's going to be something that that I think might be really, really worth going out of your way to see. I like the concept of them going back in time, um, kind of that that feel from what that uh, Jean Claude uh, Van Damme movie, as far as from many years ago, where he goes back in time. You know, like a time cop, time cop. There you go that uh, as far as it's concerned. So I kind of like that concept of the bad guy going in time and good guy and the good, the good, good guys going after them as far as it's concerned to try and stop from, from changing the future. Kind of like that concept. Hope it works out. So I'm looking forward to watching uh, that, that show as far as it's concerned, timeless coming to NBC. And if, so if there's one show, one show that you, you see that might break out with audiences, what would that be, Josh? Westworld, HBO Westworld. I know that's a pre- that's a subscription channel, but it's it's intriguing. You watch the trailers and you're like, "What am I going to get out of this?" Because it's based on you know works by Michael Crichton, so it's like it's going to have a moral to it. But knowing HBO, they'll probably like you know throw some stuff in there that's not morally sound. But it's all to teach a lesson, and I, I love that idea. Well, it's no longer about just broadcast television anymore. When you say television, you have to you have to look at as far as it's concerned, CBS All Access, Hulu, uh, Netflix. You have to look at all of them as far as it's concerned because TV now is an actual different concept than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And you have to look at shows. Some of the best shows on television are on HBO. And as far as some of the most watched television shows are on HBO, Netflix and whatnot, with all the Netflix with their Marvel shows and also as well House of Cards and whatnot. Wherein, and then you have, like you said, you know, obviously Game of Thrones. Uh, if Westworld hits big and the trailers have really, really looked good for Westworld, uh, I think it could do very well as well. Good, good, good choice. And I compliment you on that highly. Uh, any more thoughts as far as it's concerned from the TV season? Do you know what we haven't talked about yet? And what haven't we talked about yet? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked, actually. It is Luke Cage. I know people are getting excited about that. So what? Let, let me ask you, let me ask the questions this time. What are your thoughts on Luke Cage, Mr. Glassford? I like it. I think that's again another bold step as far as being able to to bring out that that character. I think it's a, a really really good choice. I'm very eager uh, to see it, and especially coming from from the Netflix uh, Marvel friendship love fest uh, as far as it's concerned, because you see what has already happened with Daredevil with Jessica Jones. Uh, those shows have connected with audiences and also, you know, perform admirably as far as with critics and whatnot. I think, you know, Luke Cage is going to go fall right into that. I think it's, you know, the character's already been introduced into that world. And I, I see nothing but good things as well. Uh, Luke Cage, I think, will be another strong entry into the Netflix Marvel Universe. I agree. He's he's an obscure superhero like Jessica Jones, which Jessica Jones took me a while to get into. And 
I feel like, uh, you know, the villain stuck around longer than he should have, but there, it was an, is intriguing is an intriguing story, intriguing characters. And Luke Cage is definitely a huge part of that. So I'm curious to see what he does on his own and if he's able to hold his own as well as Jessica Jones and daredevil. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Well, that's going to do it this time for pop culture cosmos. Once again, we truly appreciate you listening and taking time out of your day to get check us out. If you get a chance, again, we're Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and also as well our sister sites, uh, Game Source, Mario Party Wars, uh, Rob McCallum Films, Retro City Games, just want, and also the Podcast Radio Network. Check it all out because you will be glad you did as we provide you plenty of coverage from the world of pop culture. So for me, Gerald Glassford, I'm also want to say goodbye to my friend, Mr. Josh Peterson. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. It's another beautiful evening in paradise, and you have yourself a great day. <laughs>